Today's podcast is sponsored by Bald Move. Get 25% of a new annual membership by going to club.baldmove.com and using code WW2018 at checkout. Again, this is for new annual memberships. 25% off at club.baldmove.com by using WW2018 at checkout. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And we are here today to talk about Season 2, Episode 3, titled Virtue and Fortune. Let's just put it in English. Uh, make it easy for everybody, myself included. Yeah, Because I don't want to try to say that. You hate speaking Italian. Long-standing I, I just, I prejudice know, against Italian people by Jim Jones. I've tried to speak Italian in the past for various <laughs> occasions, and it, it usually goes poorly. Uh, Virtue and Fortune, which I think is an apt title for a lot of the stuff going on in this episode which i'm sure we'll talk about yeah uh mentioned in the uh, instant take or instant talk podcast rather that uh that is referring to a machiavellian lieutenant that one should use one's talents and abilities to control life rather than let life or fortune control you Mm -hmm. um and we see a lot of the protagonists and antagonists are trying to do just that yeah are they going to be able to get 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 you know get the lasso around fate? We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like it's happening on both sides. You know, this virtue is being uh, exercised by uh, both sides, and who's going to win out? I don't know. So, what do you think on subsequent watches? Uh, I liked it better. Okay, I liked it better once I could get beyond just how stupid that battle is, and I'm not going to harp on it in this episode. But right. I'll harp on it a little bit. First time through, I thought it was really dumb. Second time through, I was prepared for it, and I could kind of brush it aside and say, okay, what are they doing here Yeah, from a larger view? Um, and I think it was a little bit better when when those concerns are gone. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I still have a big problem with, like, the cold open and, like, what that means. Mm. And I actually like that a lot better now. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I almost think, like, if it wasn't for this being a... a remake of Westworld the mm-hmm. movie um mm-hmm. then we would probably want to start with the raj really instead of Westworld because it's a much it's much more a parallel for the robots uh than Westworld is in my opinion how so just the colonial yeah yeah like, that, like, that iron-fisted rule of the british over, versus yeah, the oppressed and exactly yeah. um privileged people coming in and thinking think, how civilized and how exotic and how nice it is while it's built right. on a foundation of misery and exactly and when you think unfairness. about the you know the wild west here in the u.s yeah it was very much like the concepts based on freedom right and that right. applies to the humans in that scenario but right, not right, to the right. robots so the raj seems much more of a parallel right uh yeah no that's that's an interesting point i still think so my i the episode's fine because uh-huh. The parts that are not fine, uh, I'm content with letting, you know, Joy and Nolan have their fun and tell the story they want us to tell in the style. Because I found last year, uh, while it was frustrating sometimes in the middle of watching, everything paid off handsomely. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue thinking that, oh, my God, these people just haven't forgotten how to write a show. They're actually doing something that we don't quite understand yet. Um, Sure. Having said that, I do, like, every single time I watched the the centerpiece of this episode it just gets dumber and it's hard for me to like almost both sides have to be phenomenally stupid and like i don't know why both sides would be acting that way 
Um, and that's where it's like, and, and the thing is, is maybe, maybe this is like Nolan and Joy just don't care about the big action set pieces. They're more into care. So they just like, they don't give a shit. Don't have, don't need military advisors. Uh, don't need any like previous experience writing like these big like battle scenes. Like, eh, you know, we'll just uh, go for broke on the special effects and make it look cool and have some awesome music. And, but man, yeah, I just have to really turn my brain off to just appreciate like in a very, you know, cowboys versus aliens way this thing because mm-hmm. it's just sure. Like you're talking drones. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. Like helicopters, you're right? Like a, a couple fast attack gunships, and mm-hmm. that fort is smoked. And there's yeah. nothing they can do. Or you know, like if if you, it, <laughs> I, I, but I know I know they didn't want to like you know one of the like you can't just nuke it from orbit because they got the Peter Abernathy. Right. That's the like why don't they use just like. Hellfire missiles and napalm canisters and, and even EMP. Nukes. It would, it would even, extend to an EMP, right? So. But damn, yeah. damn. There's there is a middle ground between marching into combat with dune buggies and yep. a full on <laughs> orbital strike. And I don't know. Here, so maybe maybe I'll be super impressed, and this will all pay off, and it's like some kind of double triple reverse reveal gambit. But heart, it's the centerpiece of the episode, arguably. Uh, mm. Probably expensive as hell to shoot and didn't hit the intended target of this podcast host anyway yeah no i agree with you and that's um, the only harping i'm going to do on it i think the the bigger problem i will have with it in the long run is if it doesn't remain consistent because so far right the delos forces have been shown to be completely incompetent right and that has been consistent across the board so if they want to portray like these this security force is unprepared for this scenario when they mm. should have been prepared mm-hmm. um, or maybe complacent because this hasn't happened in 30 years. That yeah, kind of thing. I could get behind that. But once right. they – if they ever try to show me that, hey, these people are actually competent, right. I'm going to start to have problems with it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like – because I can, I can excuse – some complacency here like absolutely like yeah. like if there was a full-on like let's say that all uh, like all of mickey mouse and his minions revolted in disney world uh-huh. and they had goofy's they, they had cybernetically guts. enhanced strength and who knows and you had just goofy ripping guest heads off like how well would this the, uh, the walt disney world security force be able to deal with that yeah now i don't know someone might write in and say actually they have a fully trained team of ex navy <laughs> seals and they're well like i, I would believe anything with walt disney world okay yeah. like maybe they do but like i guess if you had 35 years of an unfairly unblemished safety record then mm-hmm. maybe you do get complacent because these are robots and we can tell them the seesaw motor functions how bad can it get right so but yeah uh, there, there needs to be a little bit more coloring in the lines, I guess, or, or filling that out. Uh, what else we want to talk about in Prelude? Oh, I've got something. Yeah. It uh, turns out the opening song played underneath the heavy sitar track, Seven Nation Armies by the White Stripes. No, no, I listened to it. I'm pretty sure it's not. I, I, I have 75,000 <laughs> emails informing me that, no, we are complete dumbasses. We got yeah, it wrong. Absolutely. Here's the thing. We just didn't hear it. I think we were joking too much. Also, I was listening to it, and... To to really pick it out, it becomes very very obvious when you have a subwoofer. Yes, and you can hear that that solid bass line that you yep, just immediately yep. recognize. But we were watching it on a pair of fucking tweeters in there apparently because right. I Plus didn't we hear were, any of like that. like I said, you know when when they oh, throws a curveball like Raj World, we were like making jokes. There were all kinds of like yeah, and we were asking questions. Like we're not a respectful audience when we're here in the Bald News Studio. We are not. No. So yeah, first time watching, just didn't hear it. Uh, yeah, but it what, makes what perfect does the song sense. Say? Huh? What does the song say about this episode? I well, 
Rachel, the, I, I picked one of the 75,000. Okay. Uh, Rachel W. said, I thought you'd find this as fun. Because according to this article that she quotes from NME Magazine, which is like the UK equivalent of Rolling Stone, hmm. uh, Jack White has is famously afraid of a robot uprising. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and okay. that's one of the excerpts from the, the article. They're writing about seven facts you did not know about Seven Nations Army. Next episode, we're going to have Stephen Hawking wheeling around. <laughs> <laughs> the album sleeve for Elephant proudly states no computers were used during the writing, recording, mixing, or mastering of this record because he's like a technophobe and mm-hmm. he's afraid of a machine uprising. He's doing it so, on real to real. Pretty cool. I thought that was a pr- nice. That was a nice fun time, and it might be just that. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, if Dolores gets a hold of all six parks, she's one. Na- she's one shy of having a seven nation army. And if she gets hold of our world, boom! There you go. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. Yeah. Hey everybody! There's lots of stuff happening at BaldMove.com this week. Uh, of course, we've got the Instant Talk podcast, a fabulous after show for Westworld uh, on BaldMove.com. As soon as Westworld's done dropping, we take to the mics, we take to the cameras. It's the, the most immediate coverage of by, Westworld on the internet. By the way, we let everybody participate last weekend. We opened it up to non-club members to give a little taste. You can go to YouTube.com/slash/BaldMove if you want to check it out. But it's it's a half hour to maybe longer. However, we just, we don't have a time limit. We just talk until we're done talking. Yeah. Uh, after show with uh, with uh, audience feedback. It's pretty cool. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. We also have uh, our Fabulous Expanse podcast that drops at the same time the episode does. So as soon as you're done watching the Expanse, you can go to baldmove.com and download a very long episode to talk about the Expanse. <laughs> I know what it's like to have no one else in your life excited about the things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm a podcaster, for God's sakes. <laughs> That describes all my friends and family. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you tie. We get it, we get it. Uh, the Expanse podcast. Uh, we're seeing Deadpool next week. I'm pretty excited about that one for our first run movies. Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2, sorry. Yeah. The, de- the, the dead harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, pool, pool more. Uh, we also are going to be at the Con of Thrones this month, May 25th through 27th in Dallas, Texas. Go to conofthrones.net. As you might expect, it's a convention to celebrate all things Game of Thrones. There's lots of cool celebrities attending. We're going to be interviewing some of them. We're going to be doing panels. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Check it out, conofthrones.net for tickets and scheduling information, May 25th through 27th, 2018. Uh, finally, uh, Jim and I are doing some Twitch stuff. We've been doing that this year, just kind of like, you know, have a little bit of fun every Mondays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're doing something. We've been playing through game, uh, God of War. I think we're about to finish that up. Who knows what we'll do next? Uh, you can check out, like, the last two weeks of archives on twitch.tv slash baldmove. And uh, you can also see a lot of the the good archives. The ones we'll remember to move over on YouTube, youtube.com slash baldmove. But, yeah, if you haven't uh, checked it out, so it's just us hanging out. Uh, talking with chat and playing video games. Twitch.tv slash baldmove. Okay, let's get into the recap, yeah? Yeah. We start off with, we're, we're in the Raj. Raj World trademark where their real peacocks look fake and their fake tigers look CGI. <laughs> okay, because that I'm is their like, tagline. I'm like, because like, those peacocks in the beginning, they're probably not real, right? Are they real peacocks? I have no clue. They no fuck, clue. I, I've never seen a real peacock, so I couldn't tell you. I feel like Raj World is like beta version for all their wildlife because uh, the elephants, I guess, were fine. Yeah. Oh, they look good. Uh, they, they're also shrouded in kind of jungly darkness, but like mm-hmm. close-up shots of tiger and the close-up shots of peacock, hmm. Okay, not sure about. I had zero problems with most of the CGI in this thing. It it was fine. Um, but yeah, we're we're in the Raj, which I guess is the name of this park. Raj World. No, it's the Raj. Oh, really? Apparently. Yeah, on all their, their marketing, we'll say. 
on all their uh, websites and stuff. Like, they have the Discover the Raj, I think. You're really fucked up with your branding, uh, man. It's world. It's always got to be I, something world. Apparently it's not, though. Like, Westworld is the only world, I guess? Hmm. I don't know. We'll we'll see when, they sold when we get the name world, of the show. Like, yeah, world. this isn't a world. This is just the West. And then they decided, okay, well, you got a point, and they started really <laughs> confining. It's not samurai world. It's just yeah, shogun. I don't know. It's everything that's dominated by the West. I don't know because certainly the Raja is here. Um, a man sees a woman from a balcony, and he approaches her, and they hit it off. Uh, and after verifying that he's human, in the most uh, what's the word he uses? Extreme. Ex- I can't remember. Uh, they bang. They bang. Then they go on safari to hunt tigers, but they get attacked by hosts. And he's killed, and she's chased to the edge of a cliff by a tiger, which charges her. She shoots it, and she's knocked into the water. Below. Yeah. Really, really far drop in that water. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things. Like, I think... I just want to... Lots of theories that we'll get to in the theory section of this podcast at the very oh, end of Christ. the podcast about this particular woman. Okay. Um, but I want to talk to things about the things I noticed or things I think you're supposed to notice. Um, are we are we sure of the timeline? Are we sure that this, this Raj world character or the Raj character is tied into the current Bernard timeline? We think so I'm, because... I'm pretty sure, yeah, because of the tiger. But we also have, like... Bernard kind of glitching and going through various versions of something very similar to this happening. So is it possible that this this whole mm. uprising happened uh, before time? I don't know. It's also possible that Bernard's glitching has an explanation within right. the two-week period, which I want to talk about in the theory section as well. I mean, they want us to think that they're connected because they made a big show of the security force finding the dead tiger. We see mm-hmm. a similar, if not exactly the same, dead tiger in this episode. Um, yeah. So so it's it's probable, and they want us to believe that. Other, other thing they want us to take note of is she tested the guy to make sure that he was not a robot. Mm-hmm. She did not test herself. That's true. So it's still possible that she is a she, host? It's possible, though she recognizes these humans and is visibly freaked out by it and um, the humans who are killed in the it, tent. Could she be a Bernard? And she says she came in on the train. Right. Um, like, I was with them on the train. I. It's possible, but they're really misleading us purposefully, if so. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, but that wouldn't be the first time of course, that, yeah. that Westworld did it. So I, I just wanted to get the things out there we're, we're supposed to notice. Also, the fact that this is all taking place on the edge of the park and that you can see uh, that, you know, what the edge of the parks look like. I thought that was pretty cool. How yeah, they got this laser gate system. Uh-huh. And how uh, it just isn't doing a damn thing right no, now. No, it does seem like the whatever Ford did to the security system combined with what or what, what Maeve did to the security system has really fucked things up royally. Uh, I do think the one thing that this show is trying to do with this woman, regardless of who she is, yeah. is give us some insight into the Ghost Nation. I think she's going to be the conduit through which we understand them uh, and their purpose. I, I like that. I like that. Because really... she's she's being, you can see at the end of the episode, she's being taken, Yes, I assume, in the same way that Stubbs was. And that was a big question right. in season one. What did Ghost Nation do with Stubbs? Right. And and he comes back so abruptly here and without any real mention of him being gone. Right. Uh, I think this is our window into that. Okay. Uh, what else? Oh, the other thing. Fuck her notebook, right? 
Like the double hex, uh-huh. the double hexagon code algebra. Like I'm not <laughs> engaging any brain power into that. Okay, like, well here's the interesting. I will not do math for you, Nolan. <laughs> I will not. I fucking won't. It, it seems like she is. She's clearly looking for something. Um, she she mentions early on that she's hunting. Um, basically, she says, mm-hmm. you know, she's. Uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but he assumes she's hunting uh, Bengal tigers, which. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure about that. I think she's there to maybe hunt something else, and this map kind of she's here that the main black. That. She could be possibly. You, um, so, but do, but th- there are man. I almost can't talk about this without talking about theories of who I she know. is. And I was like, do, at what point do we bring in the ARG stuff? Let me just say this: there, there's a theory that she is a QA uh, worker. Yes, that she is very much like Elsie. Yes. Um, and in that case, she could be looking for a stray. Yeah, she could within the Raj. She could be looking for the man in black. She, she could be looking bugs. like literal bugs. Sure. Like, like yeah, oh, that animal got in. We need to get it out. Like, right, or just maybe. quality assurances. Like, is this up to snuff? Is like, it, it, you know, at some point, someone needs to go in and experience the park as a guest, which sure. maybe explains why she's reticent to sleep with the robot because she doesn't want her sex life for her bosses to be able to audit the logs of. It like, seems like she's she's a little bit outside her job parameters. If, uh-huh. if she is, in fact, QA and she's going in there and fucking the host, like, they, right. they're, they're well, not cool uh, when Sylvester <laughs> pimps the host in the facility, right. in the Mesa, so why would they be cool with her doing this? But, right. Uh, I, I don't I know. Feel they, like do you know what a secret shopper is? Yeah, sure. So I feel like that, like that maybe one of the important things of a QA is like to be a secret shopper. They just go in and no one knows that they're actually a West, uh, a Raj World or whatever Raj employee. Okay, a, De- a Delos employee, and you know, but so secret like, shoppers are usually. They're not. Well, in, yeah, I guess they, they can be like internal quality but they're assurance. Not. They're but they're usually, usually people that are spies. Because yes, exactly. <laughs> they're usually going in and looking at prices of products. So I was trying to make that's ex- that's exactly the, the example I was trying to say that like you know just because you don't want your horny techs fucking the merchandise doesn't mean you wouldn't pay someone to come in to do the same and give you an objective viewpoint on. All you need is an exit survey. How man. good that host P or D A is. Fucking exit survey. <laughs> Like you have yeah. you have people in there testing these every day, right? Just ask them how it was. That's true. That's true. And I would think they would let you know when they're paying forty thousand dollars plus a day. Yeah, but then do you get bought? Because then they've got skin in the game, right? The whole idea of a mystery shopper is they're they're not spending their own money. They're just giving you purely objective, no axes to grind. No, mm. well, it's pretty good. I like fucking the host. I don't know if I fucked forty thousand dollars worth. Like you got all that. Like uh-huh. like look at any restaurant review on fucking Yelp. You've always got the fucking yeah. one star people that want to shit on everything. Anyway, <laughs> all right. That's how Mister Shoppers work, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And fuck fuck this person's notebook. But is it is interesting that math. she is meeting up with someone like like when this Jude Law stand-in, Jude Law's stunt double, right. uh, sees her. She is meeting with someone else in this white hat and writing something in her notebook, mm-hmm. which I assume is, you know, part of the map or or some clue as to what she's hunting. Did Nolan uh, hire Jude Law's lesser-known younger brother? Oh, she, the we have lesser, lesser Law? law. <laughs> He's gone mad with oh his employing God. of less successful and famous of, of siblings of... More famous and successful siblings. I can't prove that that's not true. So. <laughs> it's it's unprovable, in fact. <laughs> uh, so I, I do think this is an effective introduction to this character. 
Um, for, but that's the thing. It's an introduction of a character that I could give a shit about. Well, we will. We will come to give a shit the, about yes, this character. You have to give them runway or else yeah. they can never. But this is like, you know, Feast of Crows dances with dragons. Like, all I want to, I, all I care about is Ari and John and Danny. Who is this Hator? Uh, you know, uh-huh. like Hoto. I, I get him out of my face. I don't want. I, I get <laughs> like, can I skip ahead to the brand chapter? Like, Absolutely. it's tough when you got people in, in, in invested in a storyline too. And there's the wires problem too, because essentially every season's like, do you like characters from last season? Well, fuck you. Here's a yeah. new set of characters, a whole new cast, and we might kind of tie them together in the middle of the season, but not. So it, it happens, and it's frustrating, but it's part of like you know stretching your mind open for for new forms of literature but i do think this introduction is really efficiently written like the the whole human test serves the purpose of immediately proving to her that shit has gone off the rails with these hosts in this park right right because once i think his name's ganjo is able to kill the person she knows is a human right that immediately tells her what's going on here yeah and the violent so we don't have to watch it all again you know yeah the violent delights of violent ends came back up too it does twice in this episode, yeah. Interesting. Abernathy, yeah, uh, also kind of riffs on that. He's the OG of the violent delights. I also like the Raj kind of defying our expectations. Coming out of season one, everybody was looking at the Shogun World symbol, right? That we right. see in the background, and all of these samurai that are in the facility, and we're like, oh man, we're gonna get this Shogun World. Well, keep watching. And in the we very do. first world they show us, <laughs> right. New World is not that, and it's right. like. Oh shit! We just got a new world entirely. Right, right. and we know there's four others we haven't seen. Yeah. So uh, definitely sparks one's imagination for sure. Okay, we move on to Strand Bernard and company arriving at the Delos facility where Charlotte is waiting. She asks for Abernathy, but no one's found him. And then she asks Bernard, who flashes back to when he and Charlotte found Abernathy with the Milk Bottle Gang. Uh, they hijack the leader and turn him into a kinder, gentler version of himself, who helps them get their hands on Abernathy. And then a group of confederados rides up and takes Bernard prisoner, and Charlotte manages to escape. And she's she's running after Abernathy at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's... Speaking of cool, I think the payoff... No, she's not. She's just running away. Sorry. Uh, the payoff of Rebus having his morality reset... Yeah, this is good. ...makes... Because, like, you know, a lot of people are like, man, how do you go from using women for target practice to shoot a woman over my dead body. Well, he just got hijacked for Bernard and re- reprogrammed. That was that was really cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of this uh, kind of dialogue, throwaway dialogue. They talk when the mercenaries are kind of telling the in-charge guy, like, what's going on. They talk about multiple floors being on fire. They've taken out someplace called the Cradle. Uh-huh. Which is uh, within the Mesa, the Mesa facility. I assume it's got to be where new machines are born, right? Like, why else would what you it call it a like. cradle? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if that's, like, the literal machine that, like, dips the figures in the white milk or what, but I thought that's interesting. Also, uh, the whole idea that Bern, they're, they're putting Bernard Delibery through a loop I think has little legs because when Hale yep. asks him a pointed question about you know, hey, don't you know anything about Abernathy? It kind of triggers that that stuttering mental breakdown, that nervous breakdown that he kind of has. And she's and, and got then, a very knowing look on her face when she's saying it to him. And she also says he keeps slipping away from us, which yeah. she could very well be talking about, about Bernard. Bernard as this, yeah. the, the, the thing is kicking away. And I don't know exactly what's going on, but there's something fucky going on with Bernard that yeah. they're definitely playing with here. Well, if you want to, if, if you want to speculate with this, there'll be theory section at the end of the podcast okay sounds good um uh, and we see that abernathy is very concerned about getting to the train 
Right. He's got to get to the train, which we later find out is Lee's <laughs> Lee's approximation of a personality, which is I need to get to a train. Uh, I also thought it was cool that when Abernathy stood up to the Confederados, he sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which I didn't uh, know the history of this song, but this song was essentially an abolitionist battle song during the War for the Union. Really? Okay. Yeah, like if you look at the... It started off as... Uh, uh, the 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 song was a very stirring song, but it's about um, you know it had it had a it, it kind of had some rough and coarse lyrics about this guy's body uh, and moldering in a grave and all that. And, and some woman rewrote it to have this kind of stirring, like you know, you're essentially doing God's work. You're 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 tramp. Hmm. You're 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 stamping out all this bad and evil things in the world in military fashion. But yeah, like the the that the battle hymn, the Republic was a was a, a something born out of the American Civil War, which. It's thematic for the Confederate stating at the Confederados, but it's also yep. emblematic of what the robot they're trying to do, Absolutely. which is free themselves. But that gets complicated too, because man, I keep going back and forth about the whole consciousness of this. Uh, consciousness, yeah. Like the, I'm, I'm kind of back on that. Not like I don't. I, I've been thinking a lot in these last few weeks about like if you had a Dolores in front of you. Like, the Turing test is not adequate to really decide if something is human, right? Like, if it passes as human, because we're very I, easy, I yeah. we're very easy to fool. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like in the next five years, you might have a machine that can pass a Turing test via a keyboard, and you'd never know. Is that is it conscious, or is it just really programmed to act human well? And then the thing that really flips your mind is at what point along the simulation of a human do you actually get a human? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's outwardly indistinguishable from human behavior. I mean, you're starting to get some to start to split some fine philosophical hairs sure. because you're just you're essentially offloading. If you say, well, it's not a human, I can do whatever I want to. You're offloading your sense of morality and ethics to someone that says, oh, no, this is just a simulated human, mm-hmm. which you're duplicating all the different prisoner experiments that have been done uh, to various degrees of ethical standards and consistency. But like, it's a really tough question. I feel like I've been entirely it too is. dismissive of the, oh, they're just robot side. Right. Um, I feel like it's the safe ethical and moral bet to be like, well, if it looks and talks and, you know, quacks like a duck and, you know, does like it's it's a duck. But yeah, I think they're playing with those ideas um, in more detail, especially when it comes to like Hector's Hector and Lee later on um, and their kind of the exchange in the underground tunnels. Right. Uh, Yeah, that they're very much aware that this is not a black and white issue. Right. And and that's why it's so. I guess I guess a that's why it's so important to talk about, and b yeah. why it feels so icky when you right. do. It's also the thing. It's like it's it's uncomfortably reminds us because you start talking about like, well, how is it different from us? And like, well, first of all, we're not the probably the only way that conscious beings can configure themselves, right? right. Mm-hmm. And also the fact is we are kind of biological machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an uncomfortable thought to think about. You know, like yeah, yeah. I, could, I could shove an ice pick through your temple, and you'd be a very different person. Don't do that. But you could probably, you'd still probably be alive. I mean, I wouldn't be able to podcast. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> maybe you'd be an even better podcaster. Maybe. We tr- maybe we should try. I think I mean, we need to at least try. <laughs> we should at We're least try. Irresponsible let's let's host. flip the coin and see who <laughs> gets it. That's how we just solve everything here. Sounds good. All right. Anyway, let's move on to the colonel arriving at the fort, where Dolores convinces him to aid her in fighting off the impending threat of the humans. This is uh, a really poorly named fort. Fort Forlorn Hope. 
forlorn. Yeah, we've got some. Say it. Uh, we've got some feedback on that. Someone says that that's actually a military term. Forlorn like, like, uh, is essentially the term for the vanguard that there's like the tip of the spear of an assault that you know is going to die. Okay. Uh, that makes a lot of sense in context, uh, and it's like it's like, so. I'll, I'll let the guy explain an email, but yeah, it's 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 a very deeply ironic name considering what happens here. Gotcha. All right, um, I don't have much to say about that scene. So. Uh, fucking love like what they've done with Clementine, like reframing her from being like a sex pot character to like a horrifying zombie soldier is yeah. super cool. No, it's fucked up. Yeah, she the way she that just effortlessly drags... And I know they've probably got all kinds of trickery, but like it just it's oh, utterly yeah. sold me that she's just dragging this dude like he is a fucking tumbleweed and just the, her kind of weird herky-jerky effect. And Yeah, boy, there's a, a lot of, good. of g- really good, subtle... Uh, effects work in this show um, and in this episode in particular like I look at the Clementine stuff and it is effectively horrifying um, yeah. what they've done to her both practically uh, both with practical effects and CG effects I'm sure um, but then Abernathy Abernathy has always been really creepy when he starts to kind of go off the rails and the, like the way his eyes twitch right. and his his inhuman blinking well, um, the, the actor Louis Hertham is doing like I, I talked about this last year, but like I don't know what a robot that's losing its mind looks like, but I would bet it looks like this. Yeah, no, he's he's amazing. Um, he's so good, and Clem is so good in this scene. It's very good. Uh, also, I, the other thing that I'm kind of uh, enjoying is how often the show itself finds ways to reframe its its central thesis. Like here, you've got Teddy saying these men are animals versus uh, Dolores says these men are children. Mm-hmm. Like animals are something that can never, without eons of time, become yeah. a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, whereas children already are. They just need to be guided and they need to be taught and they needed to, you know. And I thought that's, that's interesting. It's a throwaway comment about you know the morality and whether they can be used but it's also um you know are these hosts like animal class that we can eat and we can hook up the tractor or like 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 plow our fields for us and all that kind of stuff are they are they children which shouldn't be put into sweatshops and forced to do labor and all that i thought it was a nice little throwaway there i, I do feel like dolores is a little schizophrenic when it comes to this though because she is at the end like teddy takes what she has said and uses it as a justification to release these people. Right. They're children. They're not animals to be put down. Right. Uh, and Dolores seems very displeased about that. Yeah, and the way she's just coldly using them at various points. Yes. Uh, and some robots, it's, it reminds me of Animal Farm, that there's some robots that are more equal than others, because not everybody deserves to make it through the valley. Sure. Uh, I don't know. And also, we don't pace. know since what we think is the valley gets flooded and hundreds and hundreds of hosts die... That might not necessarily be a good thing to make it through the valley. Maybe sure. the people that are dying along the way, she's actually saving in some perverse way. We don't know because this is a game where the points don't matter and nothing is real. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll find out next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so Lee is very worried about the dangers of the park as they kind of uh, make their way closer to where Maeve thinks her daughter is. Lee looks like he's come down from the mountains to sell you some fresh roasted Colombian beans, right? Yeah, he's, he's With that donkey, the donkey, yeah. Yeah, like, he's, he's, Absolutely. Got, he's got the freshest of dark roasted Colombian <laughs> beans, and he's very he's very concerned that you buy them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so he, he's talking about the dangers of the park as well as the security forces. 
Uh, they're going to be coming, and employers may even Hector to turn back. They obviously don't, and they end up encountering the Ghost Nation, who really seem to want to take Lee with them. Uh, Maeve commands them to stop, but they don't obey. So Maeve, Hector, and Lee all run off to an elevator where they escape right into the ground. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Um, it, this inability of Maeve to command these Ghost Nation members, what do you make of that? I don't know. Because, again, all of the Native American characters have, we've seen throughout the series, they have, like, a weird fixation on humanity. They have, like, almost a religious fascination and awe of them as these outsiders. These, like, they're they're incorporated into the real-life religions of these uh, Native Americans, the host programming. Uh, It's funny because, like, this Ghost Nation equals the good guy AI something theory has really exploded on internet this or uh, yeah. on the Reddit this week, which is odd because I've taken so much from Reddit. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know if I'm the first one to suggest this. Uh, I just know I was doing a couple weeks ago, but I, I do think that we're supposed to understand that they're different and that the evidence they're, they're like every, they have menaced three different humans by the time this episode's over. But mm-hmm. We know for a fact that one of them was not harmed or was returned as a host. So we don't know anything for a fact. But we do also... But they they want us to think, oh shit, these Ghost yeah. Nation guys are coming for the people. They look terrifying. They are. Um, They're pay- like... But they seem to be... Paper Tigers is not the right term. But they are unwilling to harm hosts. Or, right. or humans, rather. Right. Uh, they don't harm Maeve, Hector, or Lee. Right. They don't as of yet harm like they had the drop on them they could have easily killed them sure. if that was their goal sure um they could easily kill this woman who washes up on shore uh they could have killed stubs they apparently and if they were didn't. just following their programming and they can't tell host from human why wouldn't they yeah like why wouldn't these this fearsome uh tribe destroy the the any any of the you know the cowboys that they find yeah like that's the whole point they're in like, this pitched kind of uh uh, frontiers war so yeah it's uh, there's a lot of questions which we'll delve into and in more into the theory section of the podcast okay uh anything else on that scene uh, i do i do like lee's liquid courage here that hector suggests that's pretty good yeah he's just bogarting a whole bottle if you let him yeah he's that kind of guy uh it's funny how hector holds these guys off with essentially some words and shots to the ground like mm-hmm. i i don't know man uh I guess he bought them just enough time to get into the elevator, but I thought that was interesting. All right, so we go to the Confederados taking Abernathy back to Fort Forlorn Hope. Forlorn Hope. Forlorn Hope. Forlorn Hope. I think that's the original Dutch, as we'll find <laughs> it out. absolutely is. <laughs> uh, in Dutch world, that's how they pronounce it. Teddy doesn't remember who he is, but Peter remembers her. Uh, and They reminisce about their old stories, and Dolores tries to bring up the war, but Peter malfunctions starts talking about the train again. Uh, yeah, it's funny. As long as she kept him on the ranch, he was fine. As soon as she started talking about yeah. the the veil beyond, you know, piercing the veil beyond the the world, he started losing his mind. I think that's intentional. Like she could yeah. keep him in these reveries of the ranch, and he'd be fine. But as soon as she starts talking gibberish, he starts talking gibberish. Yeah, he he, and he seems to fall back into that old loop when he sees her, almost like a, uh, almost like a reverie mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. What do you think about? Uh, Dolores' pronouncement of Bern- Bernarnold. 
that she's a little what do you mean? like like she recognizes him, but also recognizes that he's not Arnold, but wonders if he's got any of his quality. Like I, I mm-hmm. thought that was uh, that would be such an in- interesting. I guess it's like it would be if you met the son of someone that you knew very well, but you didn't know anything about the son, and you're like, I wonder if you you know did the apple far fall from the tree or there's it, it's it it must be weird as a as a host to see a host show up looking and acting like a person that you had a relationship with mm-hmm. but that could mean everything or nothing and i don't know i think that that is the way what i'm trying to say is the way that dolores processes that information seemed like something someone is off a script like why if she's just yeah. going through some motions program by ford why would she even have this kind of a side to herself sure yeah um but on the other hand I mean, it's hard to I don't know. I I find it pretty hard to argue at this point that Dolores is not off the script, but uh-huh. I know a lot of people still think she's playing Ford's game. Right. She's part of that. I kind of think so. I do too. But it's all based on just like the language she uses, yeah. I mean, it's based on a lot. I mean, it's based on like the musical cues they're using, it's based on the language she's using, it's based on like the kind of um uh Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde nature of her flipping back and forth between Wyatt and her Dolores constructs. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she's not totally on a script, but maybe these this programming is, you know, it's not like Ford got a chance to debug this shit. He, like, set this thing in motion and pieced out. So yeah. uh, it, it could be that she's he intended her to be off the script and she's not because of the complex interaction between the code he injected and the reverie system and all this other stuff. Uh, speaking of her flipping back and forth between Wyatt and Dolores, there's something interesting happening in this scene where Dolores is very fondly remembering her time on the ranch. Yes. Uh, which, man, Wyatt would not fondly remember that at all. A, a, a host set for vengeance would not have fond memories of that time. They right. would view that as part of their subjugation. And uh, it's interesting that she does here. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of shows that, you know, she still does see a little bit of that beauty in the world and that she had a piece of that in Westworld. Like, may, maybe it's hard, can, you know, she's yearning for a time where things were simpler. Yeah. Right. Um, as people often do. Right. Uh, or maybe it's something where she is literally slipping between personalities here. Yeah. But but it is interesting that it's not all bad. She doesn't view everything that has ever happened to her as evil. Yeah. Uh, don't you also think that some of this is supposed to call, like, you're supposed to see an an, um, uh, an analog between Maeve's longing for her daughter, who she has very strong memories of and feelings for, but she knows is not real, and Dolores, you know, yearning for the simpler time with her father, which she also knows is not a real thing and is a completely artificial construct, probably even better than Maeve because she can see the illusion, like her her father slipping between all the different characters he's been. Yeah. Um, I think you're supposed to understand, again, that, these, that they're trying to show these people as, as the same with contrast, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're wanting the same things, they have a lot of the same motivations, but they're also subtly different. And I don't, again, know the full picture here. But I think in addition to all the things you're saying, that you're supposed to understand that, yes, she's a shadow reflection of Eve or vice versa as well. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Unless you want to talk about Teddy and him not remembering Peter Abernathy, which I think is not as interesting as I thought it was the first time around because there's a pretty obvious reason. Right. He's just been wiped since then. Right, right. And 
Yeah, like there's got to be some kind of code where when you replace an asset with another asset, all the hosts just kind of get on board with it. Yeah. Because it's, else it's otherwise you'd be like, talking about. you know, when they replaced the uh, fucking, uh, who's the the woman got her arm ripped off to so badass? Armistice. When they replaced Armistice as a sheriff, everybody come into the show. Well, you're not the sheriff. And, then, you know, that's a mess. You can't How do you get to be the sheriff? Right. You killed a hundred people. Sheriff used to be a pretty blonde girl. Now you're a fat, ugly walrus. Pow, <laughs> pow. Like it's not, it's not going not gonna to work. Harsh. Got to be a- harsh. <laughs> For a beloved character actor, harsh. <laughs> Wait, the sheriff is a beloved character actor? Oh, yeah. Was he really? Oh, yeah, I've seen him in many things. I can't tell you his name. The Well, you know, I, walruses need work in Hollywood, too. I guess so. Uh, all right, as they walk the underground passages, Hector and Maeve begin talking. Um, uh, pretty familiarly. Uh, and Lee recognizes that they have developed a romantic relationship, which he considers impossible, according to the narrative he programmed into them. Uh, <laughs> Hector insists that Lee doesn't know who he is until... Lee sort of proves it by quoting his words before he's had a chance to speak them. Um, Then they continue walking, and Maeve correctly deduces that Hector was meant to be the person Lee always wanted to be, and his love, Isabella, reflected Lee's own love, whom he had lost. Mm, Fucking Mary Sue's, am I right? Yeah, I guess Uh, so, yeah. I thought... Yeah, that's... There's a lot of interesting things going on here. Number one, Hector saw that Maeve recognized uh, the warrior... From the time when she killed his, uh, or he killed her daughter, quote unquote killed, yeah. quote unquote daughter, quote unquote warrior, <laughs> all of the all the quote unquotes, uh, and then you know Hector has the like these very real concerns, like okay, let's say everything happens, we find your daughter, we protect her, then what? And she says, well, I want to move out to real world, and Lee calls bullshit, which I. I think the way this is structured, you're supposed to identify with Lee and, like, you're supposed to have all the same concerns that we would watching this. Like, well, how the fuck are you going to take on a planet with seven, eight, ten billion people on it now mm-hmm. that have nukes and spaceships and star bases and they've been to the moon? You don't even know what all the – yeah. How, how does that exactly work? But then he makes the exact same – shape of an argument to say that they're not these people are not in love which remind it sounded a lot like you know someone as soon as the Wright brothers land in their plane coming and being like you can't fly it's all like we're heavier than air like well how the fuck can you be flying like yeah if you're going to this is the thing that's sticking the fact that these robots think they're in love how about the fact that they've slipped off their yokes and they're running around calling the shots now like and it's, killing humans, something you explicitly programmed them not to so do. So since we know – so I'm, I'm working through the inverse logic that I think Nolan and Joy are doing. Since we know that these latter argument is ridiculous or, or silly or short-sighted, doesn't it make – like are we supposed to like know that the first argument, that it's impossible for the humans to take over Earth, is similarly ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Just because we don't know the plan or we don't know how it works – doesn't really matter because it's happening right in front of our eyes. I don't know. That's what I was thinking as I was Could watching be. this more. Yeah. Um, I also like, you know, how how much they're comparing humans and hosts here. Um, It's it's obvious, but uh, I feel like it bears talking about and especially when it comes to like how much of, you know, a human being is the experiences they have. Like Lee could Lee have been in a different timeline. Hector. Yeah. You know, I I don't. I don't know. Uh, that seems like a stretch to me, but it also seems well. Look at William. Surprisingly possible, um, right? And you know, the idea that he would instill in this character what he would have as his best qualities and his best uh, life, essentially. Right. right. 
uh, is interesting because that's essentially what Ford is doing as well, right. yes? I mean, he's creating something to evolve the human species, and Lee has, through his narratives, kind of created a better version of himself uh-huh. uh, in the narrative form. Right, right. Uh, uh, I just like how all that ties together. No, I think it's it's real strong, too. And, and similarly, I think the story behind the story here with all this is... There is no, like, there's not black and white. Like, I think Hector wants to say, you don't know me at all because mm-hmm. I'm a woke robot and I'm no longer Hector and you think I'm still Hector. And right. Lee says, yeah, but I don't not know you, dude. Like, uh-huh. half the stuff you're going to say I can predict because it's in your... So I think there is a little bit of truth of both of those is that the robots yes. are going to be able to surprise and, you know, maybe uh, throw the curveballs at humans. But, like, there's got to be a, a, a plot line where the humans know their knowledge of the hosts and their, you know, core behaviors in a way that the hosts probably are not even fully uh, mm-hmm. aware of to kind of to Shanghai and... And in the very way they know themselves, right? Yeah. As much as humans know humans, they will know hosts. Right. Because they can't be anything but a product of what we are. Now that goes to the next stage, At which least is currently. If they're, if they're a super intelligent AI, yeah. uh, we might not know shit. Like, like, that, yeah. like, like we might su- assume that we know what the human experience is, but they're already behind that. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you had a spider with human level intelligence as my go-to analogy, like, what would that spider, what would that spider want? Right. Would it be concerned with compassion? Would it be exper- concerned exploring more the universe? More legs. More legs, I think. You, you don't fucking know, because <laughs> what would that, that's completely alien consciousness that you're now giving human equivalent intelligence to. So, right. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating, I think, and the way that they're they're subtly bringing up all these topics, right, um, is is brilliant. Now, before we move on, I know we talk about the scene a lot. Um, she talks about Lee writing a version of his his lady friend and a version of himself he wanted to be, and she says it's ridiculous. But then Maeve paused and says, "So is holding hands." Come to think, uh-huh. is that her kind of like getting up another rung, like? Oh shit! I'm falling back into the things I'm supposed to be doing. This is stupid. I'm I'm a machine holding hands with another machine that doesn't know who he is. Like it's this is it's dumb. possible. I took it more innocently. Like like holding hands is an inherently stupid thing. Like That's, what does it mean? Yeah, why and do we do that? Why do we kiss? That's that? crazy. Yeah, yeah. like uh, I, like anything other than literally sticking your genitals together is kind of unexplainable, <laughs> right? Like sure, that propagates sure. the species. The we get it. But yeah, holding hands, kissing, cuddling—that mm-hmm. stuff. Like you know, sure. Which is kind of fitting that they open with peacocks. Mm. Because that's essentially what peacocks are in a nutshell, right? Just it's like the mating ritual, right, the, yeah. the dance. You know, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's move on to Bernard taking. Uh, he's taken to a tent where Dolores meets him, and she takes him to see Peter and asks him to help Peter. Uh, then she tells Bernard that she wants to dominate the world and realizes that Bernard has never been outside the park. She asserts that. He does not confirm it. So true. I don't know that that matters, but. True. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of high minded stuff here. There's a whole, like, uh, you know. Bernard's line to her about I'm just an object with a role to play just like you um you know her talking about dominating the world uh in in contrast to her giving Arnold or sorry Bernard the choice to help her father or not mm-hmm. like it's just an honest request it's not a demand um the the whole beauty and what we are she she contrasts the people on the outside who are like survival experts and they're fighting death and they that's the thing they can't win against versus us who we got that by default 
mm-hmm. we're struggling to survive. Um, yeah. You know, we that's the part we have nailed. And I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure where it's all going, but I just wanted to kind of shine a spotlight on some of that those themes. Okay, let's move on to Maeve and company finding a man on fire running down the hall. This is a really t- horrifying scene. Uh, it made me laugh exciting. in the same way that like invasion of Mar- like the Mars and attacks, Attack, uh, like with the, the the herd of cows coming over just on fire out of nowhere. Yeah, like no, a guy just funny. pinwheeling his arms, screaming down a, bl- a empty hallway on fire is I don't know triggered my <laughs> laugh reflex. Uh, and he is pursued by a flame throwing armistice who is. Pun intended, fully armed. <laughs> uh, uh, she takes the group to Felix and Sylvester, who she has tied up and grenades stuffed in their trousers and shit, uh, and they all head back to the surface. Hmm. This is a good scene. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I liked seeing Felix back. The other guy, not so much. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The, it, it's interesting that Armistice, her name literally means like a truce between mm-hmm. warring factions. Yeah. She very much seems to be defying. It's an ironic name. And you got Teddy Flood. Well, but, like, I'm just wondering Seemingly if, if so she far. will somehow be the... Br- like, I don't know why, because she seems like she does... She's not... She's a woman of few words. She doesn't seem like she'd play the peacemaker, but this pointing out, I wouldn't think that Teddy would be involved in a, a hmm. dying in a flood last season, and yet here we are. So yeah. the names of people mean stuff in this fucking show fucking aren't like one of the the key one of the key uh, like the arnold being in an anagram for bernard like some of this stuff is so like so harry potter level dumb but it 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 works and i'm just saying armistice okay armistice she's going to end the war between the robots and the humans or the two robots i don't know but it's going to be significant (laughs) it will be significant uh, so we go back to Bernard, who has figured out that Peter has a thin character programmed into him, which is masking a big encrypted file. Uh, he says, he tells Dolores that they won't stop coming after her as long as Peter is around. She Let says, bring it on. them come. Bring it on. Uh, I don't know what else to say about this. He's he's hardwired in mm-hmm. uh, to Abernathy here. Yep. Same way we've seen him hardwire into other hosts. Uh, and there's a lot of speculation going on about Bernard and Abernathy, which has to wait till the yep. the theory section. Yep. Um, so let's move on to the underground halls where Charlotte encounters a security force, and she proves she's human and then commandeers the force to attack the fort. Uh, anything about this underground scene? No, I mean, I just try to repeat the stuff we said on the instant talk because I know, you know, just based on traffic analysis, not everyone that listens to that, or more people listen to Maine. So the thing interesting here is she, they scan her neck, and I, I hypothesize that... They're trying to. They're scanning for the presence of that explosive cervical disc. Yeah. And when they do that, it makes like the stereotypical like denied like noise when when they scan it. So I guess. And I also said that like look for the only robot we know we know doesn't have that disc in her spine, or at least we we have strong suspicion to think because who knows they might have put it in there and just lied to her is Maeve. Mm-hmm. So you Who, can see spoiler alert happens to be running around in the underground halls right now. Right. So like if she want if 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 she's wanting to get out of Westworld mm-hmm. and I don't know how she could bring Hector her little girl or anything like that but like I think it's it's entirely possible she could just come up and they'd scan her and she'd just be let go. Yeah. Seems like it. So that's a po- that's 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 one escape vector for a host on Westworld. Okay, we go to the fort. 
um, the scouts are returning and they're warning of forces coming up from the ground, which I think scares the shit out of that host. Uh, Dolores plans the defense of the fort in conjunction with the colonel here, but she seems to really be in charge. Right. Of everything. Uh, they also mentioned that they have mined the field in front of the uh, fort with explosives, with TNT, mm-hmm. which uh, will explain a little bit of Dolores' goals here. Yep. Uh, I guess let's keep moving. This yeah. whole this whole like series of scenes here is just the end of the episode, uh, basically. So Bernard cracks this encryption that he, he saw on that file, and he's shocked by what he and i emphasize only he sees they very much hide it from the audience here all what we the get, hell all we get is his reaction and him saying omg oh my god uh what is it so here's the thing here's what we know about bernard he already at this point we think knows about the dna and experience collection that's going on in westworld right he's a smart person right so smart and, and that is what everybody is assuming is in the file mm-hmm um, and, and the code for Westworld itself, right? Like, right. code that runs the hosts. It's got to be something bigger than that that Bernard is seeing here, yeah? Yeah. To actually shock him? It's got to be. I would think so. But what is it? It's third, It's like, it's it's the prime function of the park. It's the thing that's like, the, it's, the, it's the game behind the game. We Seems like the game behind the game. Like, what is management up to? Right, right. Uh, and this is seems to be immediately recognizable as something that would make you say omg if you're a host that has been exposed to already some of the games behind the game yeah no i don't know that's 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 we'll probably find that somewhere between episode nine and ten (laughs) (laughs) probably uh okay so the attack on the fort begins and it's just a distraction and dolores sees peter being extracted out the back uh, she's too late, though. She can't stop it. Charlotte escapes with Peter uh, Abernathy, and Bernard also tries to escape, but Clem knocks him out and drags him away. And after betraying and killing most of the colonel's men who helped them, Dolores tells Teddy to take the rest out back and shoot them. Instead, Teddy lets them go, which Dolores doesn't like. Yeah, I mean, I know we don't want to harp on the kind of pedestrian battle. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the core things I want to think uh, talk about that I guess I hope they resolve are... The loyalties of this mercenary army that has limits. Like they took some sure. pretty severe losses. Uh, why? Why are they like? It's one thing for like if you're a national army and you're told to go somewhere, you trust that hopefully your democratically elected leaders have got your nation's best goals and 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 hopes and ambitions in mind when they're sending you off to die in this fucking godforsaken rock. If you're a mercenary for a company. You could be dying for the shareholders' equity stakes or whatever, and I don't yeah. know that that really moves the same emotional needle. So, are we going to see like some pushback between like, you know what, fuck this, let China deal with it mm-hmm. from the mercenaries? The other thing I wonder is, Dolores made it seem like she needed these confederados to fight the full eight hundred men, like they're going to mass on this beach. Uh, but this was not that. This is not eight hundred no. men and women. So okay? It was like fifty. Right. So why did she expend literally all of her non-white forces on that battle? Why wouldn't she keep him around? I don't... I don't know. She says she's on... She's headed to Sweetwater. There's something in Sweetwater that she needs. But that seemed like as a response to their stealing her father. Yeah. But, like, again, the whole plan was for the, all the could, Confederados it, to die. And yeah. I don't... I mean, it could have changed her plan. She could be improvising yeah. here. Like, okay, well, 
they've got Abernathy now. Um, I know there's something big in there because Bernard told me about it. Uh, although he didn't really have time to, did he? I don't he, know. He told her about the encryption, but he didn't tell her that he broke it and what it was. And here's the thing, like, I... I, I personally feel like some of this is going to be revealed in the fullness of time as kind of bad filmmaking. Like, it's possible. It's but but because it's they're like that's certainly possible. But also, it's certainly possible that they're doing exactly what they're wanting to do, and we just don't understand it. But you just have to un, you have to explain holistically the human's behavior and the host's behavior for mm-hmm. that reveal to not be dismissed by by me anyway. And yeah. I, I hope they do that work. Otherwise, you know, I've done I've done this in other shows. Like, well, it's just a this is an off episode, but the core of the story is intact. It's not like it jeopardizes like, the entire op. It's just like, man, mm-hmm. um, and just little things because, like, for example, all these there's like thirty forty guys pushing on the outer gates to get in, and then there's a scene of the Wyatt forces like barricading the door, and like simultaneously, all the guys bracing the door just leave the door and three guys put this wooden like in reality you the couldn't do that in. the door yeah. flies open as soon as so it's like that i think is just going to be bad filmmaking it is it is and, and that's why i wonder like to your point about you know the the dallas forces security right. forces losing faith in their commanders right. and abandoning i don't know that they're going that direction i don't I know, think that's a consideration it, because they might literally within the narrative structure of this have an right. endless supply of goodwill toward their could be, bosses. or maybe they hopped up on future drugs, or who sure, knows. But I, I, what I'm saying is, I don't think that's going to be a consideration, right? From and, a and as a standpoint. reasonable person, I also judging by feedback, which I cut a lot, you know, because we're going to talk about this. Um, it's it's something I think a reasonable viewer would wonder about. Certainly, yeah, I, I, so. I do think that's true, but I don't know that. I mean, maybe maybe we'll see later yeah. on that, that does become an issue, but for now, they certainly haven't addressed it. Okay. Um, I. I yeah, I, I don't really want to talk much more about this battle. Um, I, I think it's interesting that Charlotte has Peter Abernathy at the moment, mm-hmm. um, which kind of leads into a lot of theories about different people um, and what she might be up to, but maybe we should save that. Okay. Um, so we go over to the woman from the first scene, whose name we never get in this entire episode. She's credited, I think, as Grace on the IMDb uh, pages. Uh-huh. But who knows if those are right or who knows who uploaded those. We, we're we not sure. Um, so this nameless woman from the first scene crawls up on shore next to the dead tiger where the Ghost Nation are waiting for her. Very short scene there. Um, mm-hmm. We've kind of talked about the implications of most of it anyway. Uh, and then Maeve's group finds cold weather and snow. And Lee thinks they're in the Klondike narrative. But he quickly realizes he's wrong. They're actually in the Shogun narrative when he finds a severed head buried in the snow. It looks like it's wearing samurai armor. Yep. And he tries to warn the others, but a samurai charges them from the woods. Or could be a ninja. There's, could. A, deba- there's a vigorous debate about samurai or ninja, which is yeah. like, All right. they're not mutually exclusive. They're, they are mutually exclusive to the cultures in which they reside, <laughs> certainly. Uh, right. But yeah, we, they I wouldn't guess pal if, around, but they're like yeah. analogous to like, let's say like a Westworld's called Cowboy World, you wouldn't be surprised to find Native Americans, you wouldn't be surprised to find... Chinese people working on the railroad. Absolutely. Like, yeah. the, like a ninjas exist within the Shogun world, the, the samurai world. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, they wouldn't like get beers. No. <laughs> uh, Lee's, I don't know how to gauge Lee's uh, terror at realizing where they are. Because Lee is kind of a, a 
not let's say let's say generously a not very courageous character to why begin would he with. be especially terrified of of samurai world so here's what i think uh samurai world is designed to be a scarier uh rougher world it's oh, not really? that family friendly zone that he's talking about interesting uh, the whole place is just the like difficulty turned up yeah. a notch interesting it, it seems like that could be possible because we know there are different areas of the park that are designed right. to be you know, levels one through ten, right. levels forty through fifty, uh, right. man in black only kind of zone, right? That sort of thing. So I think he realizes that this narrative is tougher. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that because that's the that's or because the other thing is like Lee doesn't know shit. Like right. yeah. Lee thought he was taking him to one place, and he winds up in a whole other park. Mm-hmm. And there's there's constantly mention of like, well, Lee doesn't know, like you know, he doesn't know his way around. He doesn't. He's not really familiar with the park. Uh, he's oversold his expertise to Maeve, and like, so it's like he's an unreliable. He's he's on the surface an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to say beyond that. I don't know, but I I can tell you one thing: all of that snow we're seeing is going to be yellow by the end of next episode. <laughs> all of it. Yeah, it. Does, I mean, it feels like Maeve is just going to freeze all motor functions on this guy, and that'll be that. If she can, if she can, we've seen it not work on certain hosts. Right. Uh, we have our theories on why that is, but. Right. It turns we don't out really the know. Shogun world is essentially the special forces that are called in when the... Yeah, could be. Uh, all right, that's the end of the episode. It is indeed. Hey, before we get to feedback, I want to talk about the club. We did something kind of exciting this weekend, Jim. We did a public performance of the Instant Talk podcast. What is the Instant mm-hmm. Talk podcast, Jim? Uh, it's a riff on our old Instant Take podcast, which was a podcast where we immediately got on the microphones after the episode and recorded a live podcast for about 15 minutes uh this year we converted it to the instant talk uh which adds on in addition to that a live interactive chat with our audience where we are taking questions from them and answering them and just talking about the episode in general uh with our audience live after the episode yeah it's a lot of fun it's normally a club only member thing that you get to do but this last weekend we invited everybody and you can still if you're not a club member regardless go to uh youtube.com slash bald move and uh, you can you can watch the instant take podcast, instant talk podcast rather there. And to entice you to try these features, we're having a club. All new annual memberships are on sale for the month of May uh, to celebrate Westworld for twenty five percent off. You just use the WW twenty eighteen code when you check out. You'll instantly get the twenty five percent off of the annual membership. And if you go to club.baldmove.com, it's all Westworld themed. That's all very fun. Uh, but also there's preview content. Like we have samples of every piece of bonus content, the extra episodes, the live watches, the live recordings, the quips, the, uh, uh, the, the, the bonus podcast episodes, the bonus video episodes. It's all there to be sampled. Lunch with Jim and Aaron, one of the flagship club uh, offerings. There's samples there at club.baldmove.com. And uh, you can get 25% off right now of an annual membership, WW2018 at checkout. Uh, and you support you can support the podcast and we continue to do for free mm-hmm. club.baldmove.com do we have uh, some feedback to do as you would imagine we do westworld at baldmove.com is where you send this in you can also discuss the episode with your fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com here we go first up uh sad you know as as usual we have some feedback for the last episode we did and some new feedback let's talk about the early stuff first elena m uh they so this was in response to us kind of being incredulous that no one would know that Bernard looks exactly like Arnold, the founder of the park. 
because there's a scene yeah. in episode two or three of the first season where they're walking down the street of one of the towns, and Logan specifically says, this place is hemorrhaging money. The legend goes just before they were supposed to open up, one of the founders of this place was killed here in a park. I got our lawyers to look into it, and there isn't as much as a picture of him anywhere. The guy's a total mystery. This is the problem. Like, they can say that all they want. I just have a hard time believing in reality that that is possible. Yeah, but that's like a... I, I, I feel you. Yeah. So this isn't a diss, but that's a you And I realize the show is problem. trying to tell right. me the exact opposite. Right. Like, I you just, don't understand how... Or can't why, suspend but, my disbelief. But we are asserting it as fact, yes. and you either have to hang or not. So, and this is the last time I ever, ever want to talk about that subject again. So Joel B. in nineteen ninety, well, we'll probably revisit uh, Joel season B. Three. Is Joel B. talking about this? No, he doesn't. Okay, good. But I'm just saying we'll probably because like I think some of this stuff will just be perennial because people like I still have people ask me questions. Well, how the hell are the host shooting? The guests with their blank oh, the bullets. bullets, like yeah. dude, come on, yeah, like you know, that's go watch season one. It's it's all there. Yep. Joel B. In 1990, there was a case Moreau versus Regents of the Universal of Calif- University of California brought before the Supreme Court that argued or discussed the legal implications of ownership of one's own cells and whether an individual has a property rights to those cells. Long story short, the case dealt with a man who's diagnosed with leukemia. As part of his treatment, the doctor recommended removing his patient's spleen due to its extreme swelling. The surgery was successful in stabilizing the patient's health, but thereafter the doctor began studying the spleen and found the patient's blood cells were unique in that they produced a protein that stimulated the growth of white blood cells. The doctor ended up patenting the cell line and making significant profit by selling exclusive assets, access to the materials, and the research performed on the cell line and products derived from it to a genetics research firm. Unsurprisingly, the patient found that later and sued the doctor, claiming that his cells are his property. Just out of curiosity, where do you fall on this before I get to the Supreme Court? I place very little value in ideas. It's about execution. Right. And this person essentially had what amounts to an idea within his cells that, that he this doctor then executed of. on right. and was able – so I'm on the doctor side here, Okay, frankly. Well, good, good, because uh, the Supreme Court sided with you. Okay. Uh, right. So the court rejected the argument that a person has an absolute right to the unique products of their own body. The court also looked at the policy behind having a patient's cells considered property. The court's concern was that extending property rights to include organs would have a chilling effect on medical research. Laboratories doing research should not be expected to know or discover whether someone down the line had their samples illegally converted. Lastly, the court found that the patient's interest in his bodily integrity and privacy are protected by the requirement of informed consent, which must also inform about economic interests. Uh, so in, essentially, hmm. the court said the same thing you did, except for also you should, and all the different things you have to sign before you go into the hospital or have, you should also waive any rights to yeah. blah, blah, blah. That's reasonable. Uh, totally. Needless to say, the idea that Delos would be uh, researching the guest DNA with after knowledge is not as far-fetched as one may think. Last Think of the last time you gave blood. Do you know where, where that blood ended up or who might have been studying it? Probably not, but you can bet that whoever... Uh, whatever you signed before and gave the collector the rights to do with your blood, whatever they chose. It's obvious that Dalos' plans are much more nefarious than discovering medical breakthroughs, but I do think it's interesting tie into the real world. And we have seen the terms of, of use, essentially, of the park, yeah. which include the right to your DNA. And we remember thinking last year, like, wow, that's really ominous, but yeah. it was paving the way for all the things we're seeing this season. Uh-huh. So, yeah, there's not going to be – it doesn't sound like there's going to be any, like, legal challenge or moral outrage from this Uh so I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter S. At the retirement party, the elder Delos says that he's running out of time, and William says things are progressing. In season one, one of the tourists thanks the man in black, saying his foundation literally saved my sister's life. Also in season one, Ford pontificates that humanity has conquered every disease. 
it seems likely that between the 30 years when William first came to the park and the present day that William slash Dalos created uh, some sort of universal vaccine and the ones that cure all diseases in the world. Um, I mean, it's possible. He also says it's always assumed the Westworld took place in the distant future. However, now that we've seen the real world at the beginning of the park's run, what evidence do we have that the park isn't essentially starting in present day 2018? No, we we have. I don't think we've assumed that for a very long time. Because well, we've seen in security footage an actual yes. date. So, and it puts the year at 2052, I think. You're right. It was, so Maeve, and this is only on the ARG, I believe, that yeah. they had, uh, like, essentially, um, you could log into Dallas website and you could look at security cam footage of Maeve's rampage, and it was dated June 15th, 2052. Yeah. Interestingly, if you track 35 years from that, you get 2018. 2017? Yeah. I, oh, yeah, so 2017. Which is the year that the, the show would have been... Right. Well, I guess the year after the show It's close been to our present day, so Damn you're like close, you're yeah. like half right and half wrong there, Peter. And, and it makes a lot of sense when Logan sees it that if yeah. it's like the year 2020 or something, he'd be like, Hold, we don't have this. We're yeah, not no, here yet. Any of us would walk into that room yes. and have the exact same reaction. So mm-hmm. you got to understand that Delos is a quantum leap yeah. above anybody else in terms of uh, technology. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting because, like, I'd never done the math, actually. Because 2052 is one of those, like, yeah, hey, it's pretty far in the future. But it's not really. No. It's not really at all. I'll probably live to see 2052. I will probably live to see 2052. Um, Unless the less likely than you because I'm a couple years older. But. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Brand M. I remember seeing Maeve in Season 1 flashbacks, specifically when we see Dolores walking through as the staff are teaching host human behavior. Maeve is learning how to dance, and we even get audio confirmation from a technician saying, very good, Maeve. This was in response to how old is Maeve. Okay. Because uh, there was conflicting reports. Now, the next question you got to ask is, are all coasts that we see in the original time frame, are they all still using their original bodies? We know Dolores is. Um, but is she like, so we understand. How that, like, do we know that Dolores is? Uh, that's a great question. Especially with the introduction of this light bulb brain thing, yeah. you could very much say that Dolores is the oldest host. But there was a line but it's just with her brain being. Yeah, trans- I get, yeah, you're because I was gonna say there is a line in the ver- first season where Bernard re- or maybe it's Elsie remarks that she's one of the original models. But it's like a, a car, right? Like when you replace every part on a car, is it's it the, the same ship car? Of, thesis, yeah. of course, yeah, the ship thesis. Uh, I don't know. Um, so the the question is. What are the filmmakers wanting to take away from a conversation? And also the the opposite argument is, well, the filmmakers want us to take away a lot of things that they then subvert. So mm-hmm. sure. there's a lot of like rules lawyers interpretations of this stuff. I just want to throw that out there. Um, maybe Armistice Funny Arm is revealing her actual exoskeleton kind of that she's not like the new meat based robots. But so here here's the thing. Here's hmm. the thing. We know that Maeve has a organic body because it's rebuilt. We saw it rebuilt in the previous season. It's true. So she is yeah. certainly not the like erector set model. Uh, maybe Armistice is Dolores. And uh, yeah, I don't know why I say Dolores is. We assume because she's very old that she would have the same endoskeleton, but yeah. there's no real reason she couldn't. She takes shots she like it's to. nothing in this episode, but that could just she be does. because she's she's turned her pain receptors all the way off or whatever. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, though. So we'll have to kind of pay attention to that. Um, 
because uh, otherwise, yeah, like just because we just just because Maeve was there from the beginning doesn't mean she's got the old body or anything. I do think it's interesting the that they are able to gin up an endoskeleton arm for Armistice. That kind of lends the idea that some credence to the idea that those hosts are still operational um, and that they would need parts to replace their old parts with or or they've gone to cold storage and they pulled an arm off or of what if they just and, pulled their arm out of the door and reattached it you know like there's that's you can do that with people <laughs> if a person's arm get tore off you get it to a surgeon fast enough they can reattach it so she just that's true she hacked her arm off but it's stuck in the door presumably she could just take those tool bags back to wear it and say put it back on boys I mean, that's the yeah, thing. Like, so. There's so many fucking things that could happen with yeah. these goddamn robots and their rebuildable bodies. Who knows? And especially now that you can swap your brain core. Katie, bar the fucking door, please. Mm. John G., uh, so you seem to have a real issue with those park techs and remote diagnostic lob, lob, lab and not knowing that they're using a lot of the original Dutch pronunciation in this podcast. Yeah, Sector 19. They don't know shit in Sector 19. Uh, just want to remind you a few things from Season 1, Episode 10. After Maeve has her new body built, she wakes up with Felix, grabs his tablet, and uses it to set Hector and Armistice to zero pain threshold and heavy aggression. She then, in the same scene, deactivates some of the park security systems, and she, he includes a, an image of her doing so in the email. Later, you see a shot of the control room, and everything is fine. The system is reporting no issues, but the guy has one of his operators go through and visually sweep each camera feed one by one, and they see Armistice rampaging and throwing a guy through the window. So Hmm. I guess it's entirely possible that these people would not know anything because Maeve, a combination of Maeve and Ford has essentially subverted every safety system in the fucking park. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I... I, it makes me wonder if that wasn't, you know, uh, f- programmed by Ford for her to be the thing that lets the hosts off the leash. Could be. I, I, like, I, is part of that reprogramming of the security systems to take the the restraints on the bullets off? Right. We have this, like, dichotomy that, like, oh, Dolores is Ford's, uh, you know creation and Maeve is kind of her own but thing, we know for but we a don't fact know that, that Maeve was on track we was do. on a programmed loop here that's true, that's true to escape the park right um I don't know I don't know it's interesting uh Donovan I kind of disagreed with your analysis about Teddy I'd imagine that when Ford reprogrammed Teddy he would have been programmed to be loyal to Dolores and therefore at the end when he disobeys her wouldn't that prove that he's not on his loop uh I mean, that's assuming what Ford has programmed into him. Right. I, I really don't know. And there's the, the other thing is um, there's this article that someone forwarded me that we'll get to in the speculation part. But it, they, they brought on an actual neuroscientist as a science advisor for this season. Hmm. And one of the interviews he talks about is like like the concept of a cognitive dissonance. And he described that as that the scene where Maeve was in the first season. This isn't a spoiler because... He wasn't involved in season one, but he mentions that, like, you know, she sees the choice. Like, there's two, she's got two drives. One is to leave the park, but one is her maternal instinct to her daughter. They're both programmed which one gets precedence. Yeah. Like, it could possibly be that that Teddy is programmed to be a stereotypically heroic dude, kind mm-hmm. of like the repurposed Rebus, you know? Yeah. Um, he's very gallant, and that's, it's not that he's loyal to Dolores, it's just that he's got this, in absence of anything else, he's got, he's kind of, takes a shine to Dolores, and he's a really good guy. Mm-hmm. But what happens when Dolores starts mass murdering people? It could be, like, 
is he jumping his loop or is the valiant heroic aspects of Teddy taking precedence over the lover boy aspects of Teddy? Because yeah. not all those drives can be equal, or else it, you'd That's have true, the Star yeah. Trek idea of a robot where you could be like, everything I say is a lie, and their heads explode because <laughs> they can't process it. Uh-huh. You have to have a hierarchy or just a, you know, like, like in race conditions with computers, like sometimes you just explicitly say after you've been through so many loops, just choose one and go through it because else. Yeah. So, and I will, like, we see that in Maeve when she yeah. is confronted with the reality of the situation. Her right. head nearly explodes. Yeah. Uh, but also Teddy could have like a multiple cornerstone problem. Sure. Um, you know, depending on his access to his memories, he might have this cornerstone, his original cornerstone, which I think is Dolores and his love and some event that happened in the past. Um, and his new cornerstone, which is Wyatt. Right. Mm. Um, and, and the, the murder. And, and now he like could possibly be seeing Dolores as both of these things, which right. is really fucked up. Right. For Teddy. Right. And that's it. You know, we, you think about they, they've kind of introduced with the idea of this cornerstone stone that there is something that would win all debates right, right. between the robots. And if Maeve's cornerstone is her daughter, uh-huh. so that opens up to the other next level meta question of like, are these robots really consciousness, or is it just, sure. or they're just reacting to really weird circumstances engineered <laughs> by their creators? And it's we it's just the can't edge tell. cases, right? The edge cases in the programming. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. no one programmed these to what would happen if the creator decided to wipe out the park in a, <laughs> a nihilistic urge to destroy all of humanity because uh-huh. he himself was dying. Yeah. Like, it's not too late to dust off the Robert Ford is an asshole theory. Sure. That kind of got put on, on the shelf because we like the robots and we like them being free. Uh, okay, Melody says, an in instant cast, you had a uh, conversation regarding Teddy's quote-unquote wokeness in relation to Hector. I've been observing Teddy's obvious hesitance and distaste for Dolores' methods in Season 2, and here's the conclusion I've come to. In Season 1, Maeve spent a fair amount of time helping Hector understand what he was and what humans had done to him. She did it cautiously and with empathy, showing him a willingness to sacrifice herself to prove the point. I believe they died together at least three times. Help me if I'm misremembering, but all Dolores did was have a technician show Teddy his narrative. Teddy had a brief flash of dying multiple times, and she expects him to be 100% on board. I know Teddy has some progress towards sentience, or made some progress towards that in Season 1, but he has been wiped rebooted since then, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. It feels like Maeve has a more effective approach to waking the host and letting them make their own choices to follow her. Dolores just expects Teddy to fall in line, which might make her just as bad as the humans running the park and the guests who enjoy it. Well, that's just super interesting mm-hmm. because it's hard to deny that Maeve has suffered with Hector together and has formed a bond that's much more real. Yeah. Like just mechanically real than Dolores and Teddy, mm-hmm. who are essentially a soap opera plot that's never gone anywhere. Yeah. And Dolores is trading on his pre-programmed nature. Right. And she's loyalty. just like, she's just like, no, like, just just like, hey, this is it. Deal with it. Whereas, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to rephrase uh, Melody's email. Yeah, no, she's right. So I think that might be a key to it. That, And again, it's my bias to think Maeve is more human than Dolores because that's just, you guys need to be aware that that's, that's what I really think. That's yeah. my bias on this podcast. So uh, I'm falling right into it, but I thought she made some good points there. Uh, LCG, why wouldn't Delos deploy the exploding vertebrae in the event of a significant host uprising? Wouldn't this have been one of the many contingency plans that Delos would have had to be underwritten by any insurance company worth its salt? Can they? The, the network is down. The hosts are off the leash. That's the question. I don't know if they have the access to do it right now. 
I mean, because they pretty... certainly can't shout at them, cease all motor functions. That doesn't fucking work anymore. But if the whistle, like, so I do think that they're they're in this. It's entirely possible that some of this is bad storytelling. Possible. And there's you start to argue like if it's ninety nine percent good and one like it's like how much rat shit will you accept in a hot dog and still think hot dogs are delicious? Because if you like hot dogs, yeah. it's not zero percent. <laughs> I don't know what the percentage is, but it's not 0% rat shit. So, like, Westworld yeah. could be 97% good, 3% shit, and this is, like, this and the... There's... there's So, that, that, I'm not, not saying it's a bad show, and just because you find a plot hole, but it does seem like if the Whisper Net's working, the lowest level of operation at the park has to be safety. Now, it doesn't have to be. It could be a poorly run park. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a 35 years of unblemished record, except for... The time the robots went crazy and killed one of the founders. Um, I mean, but we know that verbal commands are not working on them. Right. At least the verbal commands from the humans. Now, Maeve is able to, on some host, use verbal commands to shut them right. down. But that's because Ford programmed the host to no longer recognize guests as humans. Mm-hmm. So, like, But could he also have shut down the mechanism that would explode all their heads? I guess he could have. Certainly. But my God, if he did, that's like really shitty design. That's Chernobyl levels of poor safety interlocks and checks. I mean, I don't know how you make a universal command to explode all hosts without having how about this? the poor security around how it about, when it comes to the creator of the facility. How like, about this? If the host loses contact with the network, it explodes the vertebrae. It's a dead man switch. Right, but it, but that's a huge liability, you, right? Like if the network goes down, your park implodes. If it was like a benign I mean, it's network, not explode like a fucking fifty pounds of TNT. No, it's... but mil- billions probably of merchandise goes up in oh, flames yeah, no, because totally. your network goes down for a totally. fraction of a second. That's that's a huge risk. For I a know, company. but I, I do feel like they're okay. You're right. Like like <laughs> like maybe you have to have a heartbeat so it checks in every hour or something. Or I, I don't know. But there's got to be a, yeah. something between oh shit the network's down. Their host can do whatever the fuck they want and. Oh shit! The network took a fart, and now all the host heads are severed from their bodies. Now I don't know. Yeah, I do think it's significant now that we understand that the hosts, how the hosts like are built more, that it's in the cervical, so it's like it separates the brain from the body, but the two are still recoverable. Like it's not going to destroy uh, the brain; it's, it's probably going to sever- it just ceases all motor functions. Yeah, manually. It, like, it like hard cuts the 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 brain stem from the body, so like you could recover uh, the body and the materials and the brain and put yeah. it back to like I don't know. Okay, it'd that's, probably be a that's pain fair. in the ass to rebuild it all, but maybe not as big as we're saying. <laughs> but I really want to see just a host detonate. At some I would point. like to, see, you know, I I I honestly think it would. I they need to show us the results of that this season probably. It's probably going to be more like a glow in the back of their neck. Yeah, and like like over. a poof, like you yeah. know, like because it doesn't take that much, man. No, a shape charge. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's you know, I, I'm not saying it's like a whippersnapper, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it wouldn't be like a head exploded, gallons of blood. <laughs> no. Maybe it would. I really want to see that, but I doubt it. Right? Maybe it would. Um, so there you go. Uh, I thought that was a certainly a good question to be asking, Joel P. Uh, quick question: Do you think hosts think in binary or in words like us? Does it change when they're sentient? Joel, I have a quick question huh. for you. Do you think in neurochemistry? Right. Uh, yes, language is an overlay upon it is uh, upon it the baser is. thinking that we have, and it's something that we've yeah. only really started doing in the last seventy thousand years. Homo sapiens, because mm-hmm. I've read been reading this book, Sapiens, and blow my mind. Been around for two million years. Only in the last seventy years have we actually started forming 
words and creating art and making hierarchies and that has led hmm. to with no other changes to our biology everything that you see is made possible by that one innovation yeah which in itself was not a biological evolution it's just us you i mean it's 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 crazy thing to think about but yeah i, I don't think that the host would think in binary i think they think, think like so. you and i yeah or in some other way that we couldn't conceive of but uh allegra f I was listening to the second episode of Watching Westworld, and you guys were talking about how Delos is secretly collecting genetic data and activities of their park guests and selling and using information for profit. It reminded me of everything that's going on at Facebook and Cambridge Analytica at <laughs> Al, as well as the broader conversations regarding online privacy and identity, and how well Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy are incorporating these parallels into current events in the show. I then got to thinking, what's another Jonathan Nolan show that eerily predicted and paralleled a major scandal involving surveillance and collecting of our private data? And activities, and I remembered Person of Interest. Now, you and I have never seen the right. show, right? I haven't. No, it's a CBS show, and it's the it's about they this this firm's created this computer algorithm called the machine that was developed for the federal government after nine eleven that performs surveillance on the public to predict who's going to commit the next big terrorist attack. Problem is, it flags a whole bunch of unrelated crime that's not terrorism, and then deletes that. And the creator was so bothered by all uh. this you know, precog crime that's being dismissed that he has it randomly send like social security numbers of persons of interest that him and his partner then get into various adventures where they try to stop these crimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now person of interest came out two years before the NSA Snowden whistleblowing scandal. And once that happened, it gave the show a certain credibility that was really cool to experience. And as a moment, uh, at a moment in time as a viewer, now with everything going on this Facebook, Cambridge analytical stuff, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts or opinions on what Jonathan Nolan might be trying to say regarding data and personal privacy in the modern world, Westworld. It's it's almost too perfect because it turns out one of the things people gave their privacy away to these third parties that then used them maliciously is Farmville. <laughs> like, you want to play Fuck. Farmville so bad that you click through everything to give the permission to your phone number and your birth date and your friends and their friends just to play farmville mm-hmm. how bad would you give what would you sign what would you not sign to get in the west world yeah like, i think that's i mean something that obviously they didn't intend because this came out before that but damn it's pretty spooky it is you probably have a lot of thoughts about this i mean not that i can not that I can really talk about off the cuff. Um, I'd need to think about it because I, I really haven't approached this show from that from that angle yet. Right. Um, although I think it's becoming more and more relevant as things unfold. I think humans are really bad at delayed gratification. Dra- delay, yeah. Delayed grat- gratification. We're also really bad at evaluating nebulous but severe threats in the future to and 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 weighing them correctly against immediate pleasurable experiences yeah absolutely right so like it's kind of like the whole safe sex thing like even though there are people there are diseases out there that will radically change and deteriorate the quality of life you experience and cost you a ton of money there's still people out there bareback and Mm -hmm. and it's fucking crazy sure but we're doing it because we're not entirely rational creatures absolutely yeah and the host by extension would also not be yes if they're like us yeah um. All right. Uh. Oh, this is the one about the forlorn, forlorn hope. It's hard Alex, to say, right? It is. It's like the rural juror. <sighs> Alex F. I figured I'd offer up my editorial and English major background for the podcast. As, uh, 
he wanted to say the forlorn hope is hope. <laughs> I told forlorn you, forlorn hope. <laughs> it's not just a desperate situation. It's the vanguard group of soldiers who are thrust forth to be the first wave of a terrible assault or defense. There's a long history, but the etymology seems to stem from a Dutch term meaning old heap. Hmm. Yeah, in fact, like it's like verklorn hoop is the actual word for the old heap, which is a weird way to refer to the soldiers as lives are about to spin. Yeah, I don't like like anything about that. Like forlorn hope is literally a transliteration of that unrelated word, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, It's a pretty bizarrely accurate name for a fort whereby all this takes place if it wasn't written to be so. I think it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And now I'm starting to feel like some of this shoddy stuff is intentional because they're, like, lampshading it for the people that are really in the know. That, like, yeah, this looks stupid, but mm-hmm. it's all meant to be. I don't know. We'll see. Rachel L., finally, uh, this is the last non... not spoilery, speculative email that we're reading. Uh, Rachel L., what do you guys think of Dale's ability to control the weather or all the parks inside yeah. a dome, a.k.a. Hunger Games style? I think the Chinese military arriving on the island by boat in episode one pokes a hole in that theory, but I can't figure out how they control the weather otherwise. Yeah, it's a good question. I was I was thinking of, like, maybe the island is longer and skinnier than we think, and, like, you actually are traveling southern lat- south latitude-wise to get cooler climates, because how the hell do they do that? I just don't think that Lee and Maeve and Hector could walk the amount of distance required. That's true. In the amount of time we've seen to change climate so drastically. That's a good point. So I mean, they could have underground wooshy heli- elevators and stuff that would that would speed that up. I mean, like airport conveyors. <laughs> yeah, they, they have, just get on one of those. Uh, they're progressive. Like the first conveyor. miles an hour. Yeah, the first conveyor just gets you up to five, <laughs> and then there's a whole... It's like the expanse. Like uh-huh. they, All these belts get you faster, faster, and then they slow you back down. Uh could be, could be, but we don't see that. It does boggle your mind that one company would have the ability to just leave everybody in the dust in AI and control the well. You're starting to talk about a James Bond villain. This yeah. is Spectre. Uh-huh. They're going to take the world hostage and demand $1 billion unless, I don't know, they're going to have an ice age. I don't know. It's, For sure. It, uh, that's a lot of mastery of things. They they have to know that this is a question we're asking. Yeah. Uh, and that we would be no asking? one has asked before. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, da- can, can How do you Dalos control the weather? Control the weather? <laughs> that seems anticlimactic. Uh, but yeah, I, they have to know that we are we will be questioning this stuff. And so if they don't at least lampshade it or try and explain it a little bit, we'll probably be disappointed. Yeah. So I'm hoping for an explanation at some point. Okay, that's all for the non-speculative and theory-based emails. Uh, I know the lines get blurred, but I'm trying to do the best I can do here. Uh, again, if you'd like to send us feedback, send it to westworld at com, or you can go to forums.baldmove.com to interact with your fellow fans and, and uh, just discuss theories till the cows come home. Uh, but now we're going to start talking about the theories and speculation. These are not spoilers. They're not derived from any unreleased information yet. There's no leaks involved. This is just uh, things that people have freeze-framed and analyzed and dug into literature and interviews and to try to piece things together. So if that doesn't seem like fun for you or seems like something that would irritate you to dwell on, please, please turn your podcast out now. Uh, turn your podcast off now, rather, now onto the speculation. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about was a Reddit thread created by earth to christine on reddit uh and she is a geologist that studies rocks and in particular she specializes in the types of rock formations seen in the background where william is showing dolores 
the construction of the valley beyond. Um, so you know that where she, he's like, this yeah, is I saw a screenshot of this with arrows and circles. And... Right. Yeah. So um, the valley beyond in real life is this actual Trona, Pinnacles, and Sears Valley, California. They're called Towers of Tufa, which are rocks made of calcium carbonate that developed underwater thousands of years ago and when this deep lake existed at the site and it's now evaporated and left these things behind. And she, a geologist that specializes in studies these particular rocks, says that these formations are unique. Um, like, they don't occur in, like, similar ways. Like, this is a very distinctive mm. formation. And she does some analysis where when we later see the flood that kills so many hosts, the peaks of these Towers of Tufa an identical configuration are seen barely poking above the surface of the water, which hmm. implies that the center of this flood is the valley beyond. That was William's biggest mistake, which opens up the idea of perhaps William destroyed it. If it's his biggest mistake, maybe he flooded the system as a way to kill all the hosts. He covers yeah. footsteps, covers tracks. Maybe it's Dolores that's, that's has used it as a weapon for some ends, but... And also, maybe Earth to Christine is just wrong, and this is all just accidental, but in her professional opinion, it's not. Hmm. And why would you go to the trouble of making these CGI peaks exactly match these CGI peaks in another scene, unless you're going to make these? So, do you make anything of this? And nothing more than she's made of it. Right. Right. It's just like I, I, I if you if you believe if you believe her geological skill, then then the place where that's flooded is the exact same place that William's constructing his biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. Um anything else we did did you want to bring out before we started just getting right into the feedback? I mean I I definitely want to talk about who this woman in the first scene is. Okay. Uh, oh, we'll get but to that. We, we will probably get to that. We will get to that. Uh Lauren A, pre request for more insights into Maeve's Celtic name. Uh, Maeve, along with being translated as she who intoxicates, can also be translated as Larry Bird, (laughs) as she who brings joy, which would make her the opposite of Dolores, who has been moted many times before, has a name derived from sorrow. Hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting that these names are are, are rooted in emotion rather than history, logic or poetry, anything else to be programmed into the host. Yeah, good insights. I like that. Uh, Meredith C. also has some more ties. She went into the Celtic history of Maeve. Uh, and her possible Irish roots. Uh, so she said one of the best-known Queen Maeve stories is the cattle raid of Cooley. Essentially, Queen Maeve, the powerful warrior queen of Ulster, endeavors to be completely equal to her husband, Al Yil. She catalogs all of her possessions, only to realize that she has one less bull than her, hu- than her husband. She learns of another bull that belongs to uh, Dara McFenokna of Cooley. I tried to phonetically spell this shit out. <laughs> Uh, you know, my successes are, are limited. And decides to steal the bull from him. She and her husband raise a huge army to invade Cooley and steal the bull. At the same time, the armies meant to defend Cooley are incapacitated by a witch's spell, which just left one man, the great hero Cuchulain, to fend off Maeve's massive army. He single-handedly held off her army until the spell wore off and his comrades regained their composure several days later. He was greatly wounded in his effort and in a final act of courage tied himself upright to a boulder to appear as though he was still alive and in battle. This scared off the remainder of Maeve's army and they only realized he was dead once the ravens began pecking out Cook Holland's eyes. I know there are other Queen Maeve stories, but I bring this one up because it's the most famous and because I think Nolan and Joy might be evoking this imagery of the incredible trailer scene where Maeve lays waste to the lab with her cattle. Bison, but, you know, cattle. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any of the rest of it fits anywhere, if there's any corresponding Cuckullin character in the series, but the cattle imagery just can't be a random coincidence. 
Now, before you would say, well, this is bullshit, it sounds like a reach, I will remind you that like almost everything about the legend of the man in the maze came some sort of true by the end of last episode. Right. No, I'm... I'm not inclined to dismiss it as bullshit. I'm, but I am having a hard time like placing who's who in right, the story and right. exactly how it relates. I mean, Hector, I'm just not ha- familiar ha- with ha- like like Teddy would be a good analog for this Cacullin because he's the one mm-hmm. that's opposing Maeve's advance. Uh, Hector could be Maeve's husband here. Allil. Um, you know, the other thing I found, because I actually independently researched this theory after she made me aware of it, and I saw that the part, like, it's all, this is all ancient Celtic for- folklore, um, and I was like, well, this sounds like, how do you hold off a single-handedly an army? But it turns out that he invoked some kind of ancient Irish, uh, like, like, like... The Quickening. No, no, it, it's like a, a demand for single combat, and he essentially the invoked, yeah. yeah, he invoked that on every one of the army. Like, okay, oh, one God. at a time, you guys, come, and he just fought like a one man battle against them all for several days. I'm that like, was, okay, that was Jackie Chan's strategy too. Sure, sure, but the the part where he's tied to the boulder to make him still alive—that's actually was inserted in the 20th century. Oh, by Irish revolutionaries trying to evoke the heroic imagery of I don't know how it suited huh. their purposes, but yeah. so. Maybe they're drawing inspiration from the first half and not the latter. Maybe it's both. We'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. I thought it was super interesting, and I'm sure it's going to be helpful for theory crafters in the future. Uh, Jacob N. In season one of episode 10, Charlotte convinces Lee to help get the IP out of the park through Abernathy. Lee makes a crack about Abernathy being weighed down with all the blackmail material, and Charlotte responds by saying that Lee needs to think bigger. Uh, this was our conversation. We talked about all what Dalos's plan could be, and there's a lot of people. Jacob was the first one that's wanting to shut the door hard on the blackmail mm-hmm. because that was essentially asked and answered last season. Uh, I agree. That's fair. I think blackmail yeah. would be the most boring way to proceed. Yep. Um, it's not impossible because Charlotte doesn't know everything, but... She seems to be pretty damn connected to the, the powers that be. If she doesn't know everything, Delos. the only one that knows more than her is William. Okay, but I do think William knows more than her. He has to. It's possible. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I can't say has to about anything. I have to always use weasel words. Uh, but anyway, point well taken, Jacob. And I'm not. I I would love to be able to not talk about. And everybody's moved on to the clone theory anyway. Come on, yeah. Blackmail yeah, yeah, yeah. so last Black, week. Blackmail's two weeks ago. <laughs> Vince, C., hey guys, love your show, but you guys seem to be taking for granted that the host brains and bodies are swappable. If swapping host brains were just a UPNP, a universal plug-and-play situation, there'd be no reason that cold storage would exist. He's talking about our theory that last last week that, you know, you should be able to just plug a brain, any brain into any body because why would that interface mm-hmm. be unique? Uh, he says that the brains could be swapped and technicians would just put the brains in cold storage and put the bodies back into use. I like the idea that a host could inhabit another host body, but the simple existence of cold storage throws a pretty big wrench into the works. Man, we I mean, don't. I don't know. That we know enough about this to say that we really, really don't. Because they shove a drill up Peter Abernathy's head, and then mm-hmm. he's ready for cold storage. Yeah. So, because, like, let's say if we let's say like let's envision a way that the UPNP idea can be true. Yes, it works, but because the host bodies are biological and have hormones and all this other stuff, there can be other things. There can be things other than the cerebral cortex that go wrong with them. And like maybe there's some weird, or we see we see many times them wiping hosts yeah. and returning them when there are malfunctions, right? right. And some point they they decide wiping is not enough and they have to go into cold storage, right. and that could be because they think there are physical hardware problems, yeah, exactly that they are unable to detect. Right. So to say that 
that rules it out, I don't think is is reasonable. I think because we question need more is, information. What the fuck are they doing with that drill? Yeah, like that just puts their host into standby mode. They can still listen, to, but their all their programming is like I I don't know. Um, and I'm even more confused now that we know that that's a a CPU inside their brain that they're right. drilling through, and that you can take it out. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good question. I don't know that we know enough to say yes or no on that thing. But it is a nice piece of data to add to our theory crafting here. Yeah. Alex S. from Fort Worth, Texas says, While scrolling through the social medias, I found this interview with famed neuroscientist David Eagleman. This is the thing I was referring to earlier in the podcast. Who has become a science advisor for season two. I was excited to see one of my favorite scientists team up at the show. But it's also interesting to note that apparently one of Eagleman's own inventions will be making an appearance in season two. A few years ago, Eagleman developed a vibrating vest that allows for sensory substitution in deaf people. Did he, well, did he also invent a vibrating loincloth? <laughs> no a, word on that. A, a matching pair? <laughs> for his personal use. Uh-huh. Allowing them to hear through the vibrations they feel in their vests. Eagleman huh. says the long-term goal of the work is to better understand how sensory streams can be repackaged into atypical sensory channels. I've seen some of his work that, like, they were doing, they, like, they, they fixed people to belts that vibrated to true north to see if it would improve your sense of, like, direction and stuff, and I guess it did. It makes sense. I mean, all it is right. is interpreting the signals that we're getting, right? right? And our brain is far more capable of that than our the limited, limited number of senses and, and precision of senses will yeah. allow. So so it's a cool idea. Yeah. Like, like, if you could perceive magnetic fields, for uh-huh. example, with things, or you could perceive, I guess I just used Radiation. It. Like, True North is about perceiving a magnetic field. Is, yeah. yeah, you could detect radiation. You could uh-huh. see an ultraviolet. Like, that would be kind of cool abilities. And we have tools that already do that kind of stuff. Right. If you could integrate that into our senses. Yeah, in a, you'd in be superhuman in a very real, ergonomic way. measurable way. Yeah. He says, enigmatically, that this device is now part of the Season 2 plot although it serves a different purpose of giving wares an, imp- an imp- important alternate data stream. So Charlotte does say, I'll need one of those, and she yes, passed this guy I, on his Yes, that's vest. what I was going to say. Hmm. That's what I was going to say. I, I, you assume on first reading that that's just a big flak jacket or whatever. Yeah, body armor, sure. But with this piece of information... Oh, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. What but, could that vest be doing? But he also seems to be like really developing their sense of how like a cybernetic mind would work, and like you know, I that the interview is kind of fascinating. Um, could she could she be detecting the mesh network through that, be, like yeah. feeling like the mesh network, or she could like say, or just knowing the presence of the mesh network, like right. if she's getting close, or yeah, or feeling proximity useful. to Abernathy, maybe like right. I mean, a robot could sneak up. Like if, if if it just did that, a robot could not sneak up on you. Right. You would you would feel them vibrating a long way before you could see them. I don't know. The possibilities are pretty. On the other idea, if you're standing in a, in a ring of them, it'd be pretty fucking annoying. <laughs> it would be. Yeah, maybe incapacitating. No, it's a super cool idea, and thanks for bringing that to our attention, Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, Raphael G. Want to piggyback Aaron's a piggyback off of Aaron's theory about the Ghost Nation. To me, they seem to be functioning like white blood cells of Westworld. They're part of the organism, i.e. Mm. the park that protects the organism from internal and external harm. When Maeve confronts them, she flashes back to immediately after her daughter is killed. The Ghost Nation warriors are seen dragging her somewhere. The next time we see Maeve chronologically, she's going insane inside the facility. Is it possible the warriors are being used to remove her as an in-fiction sort of way so that the human text can repair her mental collapse? Combine this with what seems like their responsibility to collect the humans at the park, and it sure seems like they're cleaning up the park from the inside. So this is an interesting recontextualization of Maeve's own memories. Sure is. That, like, the man in black 
caused her trauma to an extent that she went crazy and was a threat to herself or other hosts or other guests. And then the ghost station came to take her and clean her up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's weird because we've also seen last season where they do call in a full response team yeah. when Rebus was going crazy with the Milk Gang. Mm-hmm. So now that doesn't mean that you don't have two systems. Like, you know, a, a rapid response that can still maintain the integrity of the world and then, well, shit, stuff, this is really crucial and it's happening right now. We need to send the, the guys in. I don't know. Yeah, and also, like, the Ghost Nation hangs out in a particular area yeah maybe like the they're outskirts. used to monitor those areas he also continues that are harder to get to maybe in right. the elevators yeah he also contends uh, they could also uh protect against outside threats it seems that they live on the outskirts of the park and only react with guests that get out towards the fringes such as william and logan for la- last season for example mm-hmm. they also might function as a loose border guard preventing stray hosts from other parks who might accidentally cross over into uh the west world uh and yeah. for the white blood cell analogy, they're also not for nothing painted white. Yeah. So, um, but in the, also they're if they're if this theory about their being border kind of guards is correct, it would also explain why they're the first host that the Raj World woman uh, sees when she washes up on the beach. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I said, my bias is I think this theory is cool because it's it's something that uh it's one of the few theories that kind of like i was gonna say because it's your theory. yeah you're right yeah it's yeah. my baby it's my baby <laughs> and i'm not saying i'm the first one to get it and i'm not saying i'm mad that everyone's talking about a reddit with that i'm not i'm not because god <laughs> no, knows I, I get you god knows i've gotten a lot from reddit over the last few years so yeah. like if i can give back that's cool i just think that yeah like obviously i thought it so i'm very sympathetic to it and it does seem to have a lot of supporting evidence right now so i do think one thing I'm is, fair to say, that theory is well. there a third faction yeah we don't know what they're doing but they're not beholden to mave mm-hmm. they're not beholden to dolores in fact dolores sees them as antagonists kind of yeah uh so it's it's fair to say that they are a a, a third faction um and we don't know what their motives are and they don't seem to be harming uh, and they humans. do have that, like I said, yeah. their religion is based on us, not not like hosts, but like you know, like like reverence for humans and the technicians and all that. Like it's like like even like an in like a subconscious level, they have anathema against fucking with us. I don't know. I think it's 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 a fascinating thing to think about. And also like, what would their like? Why is their story important? Why is it so important that they've introduced a character this season? Um, in the 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 guy who played Hansi from from Fargo, why would they mm-hmm. introduce him as a way to probably give a human face to this faction? Because it does seem like, like yeah. if they're just border guards or security guards, like they like that's not super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you already got a force facing against the robots, the human, the entire human race. I don't know they're up to something. They're up to something, Jim. Tyler from Nashville. Maybe I'm the only one, but it seemed obvious that Bernard saw something on his ta- tablet thingy when treating Peter Abernathy, and then the door is being bursted in on. He pulls the IV from Abernathy's arm and escapes and begins to fall apart. I immediately thought he must have seen all the data that Charlotte Hale's trying to sneak out and took it upon it, took it out of him and moved it into himself. I even thought the limp could him be taking that weird transmitter thing from season one and sneaking it out of his pants due to how stiff his leg was when he's trying to run away. <laughs> Um. So I want to talk about all the different theories about the oh, data. Oh boy. Okay. As a, and they use Tyler's email here as a segue into there. Uh, have you seen anything you like? Uh, I. Anything I like in particular? I don't. I don't know. 
if I've seen anything that has totally jived with me. Well, how about S- if same I, as like who? How who about this if I throw is? out some things and you tell me okay. what you think? Okay. There's my my personal favorite theory is Bernard took all that data and then re-encrypted it inside of himself, right? Which is why the humans are running him through the loop because they're trying to get him to accidentally divulge the encryption key mm-hmm. uh, that they can then use to get this data out of him. So he's seen it, he uncompressed it, he downloaded it, and then he then he encrypted it within himself. Right. Uh, that's probably the the most compelling one uh-huh. at the moment I, I don't know what the others are there's other i mean there that's like i, I guess i should have maybe give the shittier theories first but there's stuff that, that he just, okay. it's just his brain's full of this uncompressed data which is why he's fat he's 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 being you know he's having these spasms and loss of motor concern although that doesn't seem I mean, tied he's with had, the no, coolant it, leak it, it's tied with the coolant leak and it's also like not tied with the data Mm-hmm. Like he is shaking and twitching before he even decrypts this file. Didn't they also say so, that the data was so big that like Abernathy could barely hold it? I which is think why so. there's such a thing. Like I know it's a rush job. Mm-hmm. Like as well as why the character is so thin and so because if you know there's this kind of thing where like like Lee didn't even fill out the basic form. Like when you look at it, it's like host name. Yeah. Uh, was like his name was just like person i think it was something passenger passenger yeah. his host name is passenger his like role was in a his like there's all these different like undefined yeah, yeah like like his behavioral modes were all everything was like undefined undefined he was just 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 this very thin character who's named passenger and he's wanting to get on the fucking train the funny thing is i don't know that lee has ever created like personally with his own hands created Built something a host from the ground up. Yeah. Right. he's just a, yeah. like he he constructs larger narratives sure. and says build me a character like this and with these lines and with these yeah. motivations so does he even know how to to he, manually he do, do that poor, stuff? we have evidence he can do it poorly <laughs> yeah when under pressure absolutely uh so my question is if that's true now maybe bernard's a super host and he has capabilities far in advance because that's mm. you know he's he is ford's boy he was built from the ground up for a particular purpose, uh, which is to replace Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe he's smarter than your average bear. Maybe he's got twice the brain size. Um, but because there's no, like, all of his physical symptoms seem tied to his brain fluid leaking and not the the stuff he's got crammed in from Abernathy. Seems like it. But it would also neatly explain why they are trying to get Bernard to, they're going through, because there's lots of evidence of what we talked about in previous podcasts of him being forced to go through a narrative yeah. more than one time, and that's a good explanation for it. Uh, Nick in the woman at the beginning of the episode is the man in black's daughter. Oh, Christ. Okay, we're going to talk about this now. She'd be the right age, and who she's hunting, wink, wink, plus the journal and the symbol. Something's going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So that's one theory. That's one of the popular theories about who this woman is. The other popular theory is that she's a young Teresa. That's... That seems impossible to me, but okay. So let's talk about the evidence for, okay. and, and it's thin, but a it's lot thin. of. But uh, when I think of like the some of the Man in Black William theories, seem similarly thin from last season, and the mm-hmm. Bernard Arnold was even thinner. Um, her hair is astonishingly the same. Okay, her smoking habits are very similar. Mm-hmm. Thus ends <laughs> the evidence. The evidence. For. No, I'll, I'll throw in one other like. The whole Raj stuff was very sepia-toned, which in the language uh, of cinema reads old. Uh, I do know... I read an interview somewhere on what 
they were going for with that. And uh-huh. They definitely were going for a different palette to make it feel more lush mm. um, because they're filming this in the same places that they're filming Westworld. Right. And so... they had a greenery person come in and try and dress this fucking sure. barren drab set with a bunch of greenery. Right. And they said he did a great job, but we also needed to right. color correct and all this stuff. And they tip they, they specifically went for a lush look with it. Right. Which could explain the color difference. Right. Just lush, not flashback. Right. But it's also... L- uh, let me give you the evidence against Teresa. I, yeah, I've got the, the tiger. The tiger is uh-huh. is not conclusive, but the tiger is pretty damn uh, negative on that idea. Yeah. Because we think that the tiger washed up 11 days before they found it. Right. Um, which... If you believe that these things can decompose at a normal human rate, which I don't it couldn't know that... be sitting there for thirty years and they wash up. And I didn't it think it even looked particularly decomposed. It just looked like it looked... was water because, like, yeah. we know the hosts don't decompose normally. Remember, we, in the first that? episode, we saw like that. the guests that were laying from the gala event, and they were very. They looked like they had been sitting out in the sun for eleven days, but all the hosts looked like fresh as daisies. Oh, hmm. okay. Um. Then I guess maybe it could be a 30-year-old tiger that they're finding, but... Uh, oh, shit, I didn't even consider that it would literally be a 30-year-old tiger laying there. Yeah. That, that. Why else would they make a... Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Why else would they make a point of showing that the humans don't... Or the hosts don't decay oh, no. at the same rate as the guests? Jim. Oh, no. Jim, they're fucking with us, Jim. <laughs> I don't think so, man. But here's the other... I don't think Here's so. the other. Teresa, her own words yeah. when she's talking to uh, Ford last year, said she came to Westworld only once with her family as a child and was not a fan. Now... Okay. She's... That woman is not a child. That could be... Right. Uh, that... But that could mean that she's just lying to Ford. Okay. And then she then worked her way up from a QA. And, I, here, I have a huge the problem claiming that characters are lying. Right. Uh, it's, it, unless it's, the show is specifically winking at us and telling yes. us this, this character is we, lying. We do know the show. The characters on this show lie, but not everyone lies. Because if, every, if you want to assume that everything you are told is an unreliable narrator, you can't. then you will drive yourself mad. N- nothing is knowable. Nothing right. is real. Nothing is knowable. Yeah. So right. I lean toward believe what the show tells you when it tells you something. Um, and that context may change. But I don't know that just claiming she was lying is a way to solve that problem. Right, and it's also the first, like, the theory crafter's defense. Also, well, let's when, say when this. Any evidence doesn't line up with the theory, well, then it's misdirection. Okay. Let me ask you, is uh, older Teresa putting on a fake accent? Because this woman does not have the same accent as Teresa. Yeah, but... You have to go really far to jump that hurdle and William, say, uh, like, 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 you know, it's not Jimmy identical, Sim- but it's so much closer. Jimmy like, doesn't look a lot like, you know, the man, like the, the, the Ed Harris either. I right. Mean, um, well, then you can't judge based on looks. Like, if you want right. to say, you can't judge. Oh, this woman looks like Teresa. But I so think what people find is, start, they start noticing that like William's wearing the same shirt as the man in black, and absolutely. like, oh, look at his knife handles. Like, this is like, yes, it's easy to dismiss this stage. I'm just saying that like we're three episodes in. Um, there is a couple things that are not explainable. Like the other thing is, we know from the ARG that this woman has a name Grace, and she's a QA person. We we know from IMDb that she's named Grace. That could be, but we, we, okay. So we don't. We, we also know that there that, is an the ARG. There is like logs where this person has gone and like they busted a Dalos yeah. employee ch- chops for having a messy room, uh-huh. and like wrote him up and said if it happens again, you're going to get fired. Like. So there's a person yeah. named Grace that IMDb says is the same person that we saw in this episode that's working as a lowly QA well, technician. Well, it and, says that and, she has 
in the same name too yeah it also doesn't say it's the same person necessarily it also is in 2052 2053 so like if if the grace theory is correct then this is it can no it cannot be Teresa. Uh, and i think the smoking gun for me is the accent yeah i I just don't you cannot claim that Teresa was faking a fucking accent. I cannot wait to play this in when, either when of those timelines. That she is faking her accent for oh, a very good reason. It, I'm, I'm going to be <laughs> very upset at myself. But um, so let's we'll talk. See. Let's talk about the original theory that Nick has, uh, which is it's the man in black's daughter. That seems wildly implausible. That was my first initial thought, but it I was. think it's. And I remember thinking, I think it's unlikely given what we know of their relationship now i mean but people are weird because like i would think that like if a if a if a if experience of the park ruined my father i would never want to set foot in that i would never Uh want to give those people money on the other hand i can see some children wanting to explore that just to see like how did this fuck my dad up uh yeah i don't know because she is the right age she is intended to be like a central mystery, or else why would you introduce her in this in this manner? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I can't dismiss it; it just doesn't feel right for the character. Um, but fuck, I I, I honestly I, I don't know. Yeah, and I'll say I guess we don't know we don't know anything really about Emily, mm-hmm. um, who's William's daughter, yet. Right. Uh, and they did introduce her in the last episode. Um, so it's quite possible that they're going for a story about Emily and MIB's relationship. Yeah. And this would not be a terrible way to introduce us no, to honestly, that character. That's, that's like showing us her character and her relationship through with her old man through a series of real life interactions with the Westworld and parallel flashbacks of their history would be super compelling and, would, and yeah. would recreate the structure of last season where we understand the man in black by yes. seeing his descent from William. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like that's probably more likely than her being Teresa, but it's also very likely that she's just an unrelated character. But why? Uh, no, I do think narratively the MIB's daughter is the most compelling one, uh-huh. but there isn't a lot of good evidence why, for yeah, it. Why, the, why, why all the grace misdirection? Right. Like, is her arc going to be like she secretly joined Delos with a fake ID just so she can... No, factually, it seems that th- her being some QA analyst right. is the most likely option. Narratively... It might be his daughter. It might be a way for her because know. wasn't – what did Elsie work in? She's QA. She's or QA. no, no. She was – Behavior. The behavior, yeah. Because I was trying to think like maybe they're – Stubbs was QA. Maybe they're, they're going to – that's how they're going to bring Elsie back, that they were coworkers or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing about the Ghost Nation uh, theory, like a sub-theory about that, is that Elsie has hastily reprogrammed them to yeah. try to save as many humans as she can. I saw that, and then she had programmed them to grab Stubbs. Right. Um, to to kind of get on board with her plan. Right. Which I think is actually a cool idea. Mm-hmm. But like, because the, 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 that, that alleviates all the weird, like, well, why would you have this weird faction of hosts that is part of the storylines but also an emergency rear guard but also it's like well she just like hastily programmed this imperative to them so uh i meant i for, i forgot that bullet point and was going through it uh that's all the theory stuff that i think yes that i that i had to talk about this week um okay. kind of light on a theory week i felt I f- like i feel like next week is going to be a big week but see, for this show any t- anytime i feel like that it's been light it's fe- i feel like i miss stuff you know, or I'm dismissive of the things that they are showing me, you know, because like, I remember this part last season, we were very skeptical about the twin timelines. Mm-hmm. We we're very skeptical about the William man in black. We we're very skeptical about Bernard Arnold theories. Um, 
but well, I know. think we hit the big ones this week. Like okay. everything else is going to be based on like really minute details in right. in the episode, right? And I really do think, like I've seen the preview for next week, it looks like it's going to be a big development mm-hmm. week for both the plot and probably a lot of theory crafting. Yeah, because this did feel like a little bit of a setting up for a next episode. Yeah, kind of. I mean, although I don't know that that's true because they did Raj World was a big introduction. They had a huge set piece. Now I didn't like it. Raj World but didn't it was a tell huge us anything new, right? That's yeah. the difference. Like Raj, Raj, the Raj did not tell us it anything just told new us what about was the happening park. in another park. It brought a new character in yeah. via stuff we already know. Yeah. Um, except that there is another park and what what it is. Right. So okay. yeah, they're probably going to do more with that. I think it's going to be really interesting with Bernard and Charlotte next week. Uh, that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to most. Right. And a lot of theories will probably be both disproven and proven. Yep. Hopefully, because that's one thing I keep on thinking, like, you know, meta conversation, like I was listening to a conversation Alan Sepinwall was having with his new host of the, you know, the TV Avalanche podcast. And they both mentioned that there was a little bit of like, oh, man, they're doing it again. But then like stuff was paying off in like, like, like the third and like fourth, because they only saw the first five episodes of this. And they said things were immediately kind of paying off and making sense. So. Yeah, it would be honestly. I think that's a way to go to like keep ahead of the internet to like as they're as the internet isn't closing in on you and they think they got five <laughs> more episodes. You just boom, yeah. solve it in episode four. Like fuck you, Bernard's walking around Dolores' brain in his body. What do you uh-huh. What do you think? What do you know? Oh, you figured out two weeks in advance. Good for you. Um, that's one having these mysteries be much smaller and contained within like three episode arcs rather than trying to stretch something out over an entire. That'd be another yeah. good defensive uh, storytelling technique. To deploy against the internet because just as they're marshalling all their evidence, you just like, yeah, here it is, yeah. here it is. Um, okay, uh, if you like to send feedback again, Westworld at baldmove.com. Uh, you could also get on our forums, forums at baldmove.com, and follow along on all our social media stuff. Uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're all there at baldmove slash baldmove, whatever, whatever, whatever makes it work. Uh, we'll be back next week for another, uh, Instant take, instant talk for the club members. Uh, don't forget the sale still going on. 25% off your memberships at club.baldmove.com. Use the code WW2018 to get that. Uh, we'll see you next week.